0: Hello and welcome to the Car Dealer Pro Podcast. In today's episode, we'll be talking to Nick from lovelycars.com. Nick is originally from Bulgaria. He moved to the UK to study and then went into the health and safety profession. Nick will be telling us how selling iPad covers as a side hustle in his day job got him started in the motor trade and went from selling old Micras to Mercedes. He normally holds around 15 to 20 cars. The majority are Prestige. The range from £1,000 to £50,000. And he's very well known for using high quality images and excellent descriptions. A very well liked and respected car dealer, especially from the online forums. And always happy to help any trader in their hour of need. Today we'll be talking lots about advertising and what platforms work best for Nick the coronavirus, warranty claims, from buying to preparing to selling, silly questions we all get asked as car dealers, what valuation tools to use, how to respond to leads professionally, speculating as a car dealer, and what apps and programs to use. There's loads of other stuff in this podcast, and I'm sure plenty of brilliant golden nuggets and lots that I'll be using myself. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, David. How are you today? Hello, Nick. Yeah, I'm good, thank you, Nick.
1: Have you, have you been busy? Um, very busy with things that shouldn't really be keeping me busy, but I've painted a big garden fence in the last week, so that's a big achievement for me.
0: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and with this coronavirus, like how have you been surviving during the uh, lockdown? I mean,
1: we've we're actually quite enjoying it from our perspective. The four of us are in the house and the weather is nice and we don't have to go anywhere and do anything. And we just go to the yeah. shops once every two, three days yeah. um, and that's it. It would have been easier without a little child, but at the same time, it's, it's a bit more fun than usual. Yeah, definitely. I don't think I've ever spent as much time with the kids. Um, my big daughter is 14. The little one is four and a half years old. I don't think I've ever had this much time on my hands in the house, not yeah. going anywhere, not working in the office till late in the evening. So, in some respects, we're quite enjoying it. In others, oh, I mean, we get a car park full of cars out the window here, and I want some of them, well, I want yeah. to see some emptiness, if you know what I mean. Yeah, definitely. Did you find it hard at first? The Sorry. speed with which it hit, the, the, yeah. uh, the suddenness of it all. I mean, we've been looking on the news, and they said China, and then they said Italy, but we're so far away from all of this. And then a couple of weeks later, and the weeks, they just, in February, they just flew it. We were so busy running around all the time. A couple of weeks, just you click your fingers and they're gone. So um, when it arrived, I was absolutely unprepared for a full-blown lockdown. We had cars to be collected, cars to be paid for, cars to be bought, cars, cars to be sold, deposits taken. It was just not a... You know, I, I need to prepare normally for two, three, four days before I stop working, and I maybe had a few hours to, to do all the preparation I needed to do. Yeah. In fact, in the first day of the lockdown, we completely violated it, and we drove to a site in Corby to collect um, the last car that we bought from BCA, because we knew full well that they wouldn't be able to deliver. Yeah. So we just drove and, and picked it up, and we thought, I thought, we'd be the only car on the road. When we went, the M1 was bumper to bumper, so much traffic, just as if it's a normal Monday morning. Yeah. And yeah. this was the very first lockdown day. But after that, um, we've slowly adjusted. And I talk to friends all the time, and they seem, you know, quite relaxed about it all.
0: Yeah. yeah that, well, that was my biggest uh, worry, was being so busy all the time and then thinking, God, how am I going to get used to this, being stuck in the house all the time? And, uh <laughs> It's been three weeks now and I'm quite enjoying it. So,
1: so so, you've got all your cars then back from BCA, everything's... Not only back from BCA, we got them back from all the garages we actually had. Um, what happened basically was if if I had known a little bit in advance, like if I'd read the news all the time, if I would paid a bit more attention, I should have known to basically stop buying a couple of weeks sooner than I did, leave some money to one side, get cars ready sooner, rush them through the preparation but of course i didn't i for us it felt business as usual till the last possible day and you know we were so blase about it i I honestly didn't i didn't see it happening so when it did we had two cars in garage for mechanical repairs and we had one day to get them out one car in a body shop one car in for the alloy wheels which we got five o'clock on the lockdown day, on the day before the lockdown. So basically, that was the last car we got out of that company, and then they shut their doors and let the people go. Right. And we've got all cars, nineteen cars. I've never had nineteen. We've sometimes had fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, but we've got all nineteen. We've got a storage space for um, eight that we actually managed to squeeze nine into. That was that was fun. So we've got nine in there, and we've got. Um, Ten outside of the house. Here we've got space for about six comfortably. So we've, it's a bit of a squeeze, but we don't need because we don't need to do constant movements yeah. like on normal days. Uh, it's actually, yeah, everything fits in nicely, and all the bills have stopped. You know, stopping all, stopping all the bills, all the outgoing stopping. This is yeah. something that I'd never see before. Like every person that we owe money to, they said, "Don't worry, don't don't bother from now. Just whenever, whenever okay. you can." You can have this for free, you can have that for free, you can have a mortgage holiday, you can have this, you can have that. Obviously we haven't taken any grants because we're not eligible for them uh, and we yes. haven't fully investigated about um, all these director furloughs for the limited companies and all that hot topic, yeah. but I think the HMRC are still clarifying it. So basically we, um, the only thing we had to do is we had to get our VAT return ready for the, it was due yesterday. And, of course, the VAT itself is now deferred until end of March next year. So that's another kind of load off of our minds.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Same for me. Um, I cancelled the direct debit, and it was was one of our biggest VAT bills we've had in ages as well. So it was quite a relief that that kicked in, and it it helped us. Um, There's enough money in the bank, you know, to keep us going for a few months. But because we do pay rates, we will get a grant. So that, that's gonna help. Yeah, that's absolutely
1: ideal. Yes, absolutely, because it's the grant. A, you don't have to stop working to get it, and B, yes, they'll tax you. That they'll tax the income, but that'll be in a year's time. So in the meantime, yeah. that's yeah, something think, for nothing, I suppose, which doesn't really um, happen in our business. But you get, you take whatever you can. So yeah, I think the government have done a good, a good job. So I think far. they've done a tremendous job. I I didn't even. Um, the speed with which they decided i think they must have been prepared for this in advance maybe a week yeah. or two weeks before the lockdown because they locked down on one day and the next day they put to rest all these worries about the bills and yeah. money not coming in basically they're paying businesses to stay closed which isn't something that a government will ever do yeah. um, in not in our lifetime at least but i hope not
0: And anyway. do, you, do you think do you think it's going to be harder on the like Big car supermarkets or independent car dealers like us? See, a
1: a big supermarket, I have no idea, first of all, what help they will get from the government because they will not get these 10,000 or 25,000 grants. And for a big supermarket, that's like a drop in the water. They've got so much overhead. But I think on a case-by-case basis, they will get a steady amount of money from the government to ensure that they actually stay open. As in stay in business, so that when business reopens, uh, the employees will have jobs.
0: Yeah, yeah, because they're employing a lot of people, so they need to keep keep them. Absolutely,
1: in. nobody, absolutely nobody wants to see them out of business. What can we do then during this
0: lockdown to keep getting inquiries from Auto Trader
1: and online? Well, that's the thing, Auto Trader—they've given April for free. My projection is that they'll give us May for free as well yeah because if they don't they just basically they need a lot of cars on their site for their site to be the number one site they need the content, and we're yeah. the content providers and as much as they hate us and they say that they don't need us, they basically need the adverts on there and I think for them to have the adverts when we're not working and effectively we're paid off to be closed is to have May for free as well yeah. so i've got um, and it's double stock as well so i've I'm paying for eleven or twelve but I've got 20 right now, live adverts. I'm advertising a couple of sold cars, like I usually do. Yeah. Um, I'll list, I've got one more car to advertise with, so I'll be 21, and then if I have 21 live adverts for the two months, I'll just keep an eye on them and respond to the inquiries, and yeah. I'm hoping to get some deposits, or I'm hoping if there are people that uh, key workers, <coughs> excuse me, NHS workers, that are either prepared to travel or if they can accept a contactless transaction, a delivery of the car, we're prepared to work with them and do a deal if, if it helps them, if they need it. Yeah. It's something that we're certainly not averse to doing, first of all, because we'll be very bored. And second of all, we've got the cars here and we've got them in a state. They're basically every, each one of our cars now is one quick wash away from being able to be sold. Great. So they're so, all MO, uh,
0: MOTs and services? Well,
1: yes and no. We uh, we couldn't do a couple of MOTs because I'm so obsessive about detail. I'm always forever waiting on a certain date to come, which will give yeah. me 13 months MOT on a car. Yeah. And I know yeah. I should <laughs> stop doing it, but it's so nice to advertise it full 13 months. And, then it is, isn't it? and they say, yeah. what do you mean full 13 months? And you tell them, I mean that you're not getting a year, you're getting a year and a month. Yeah. No, not a me, lot of dealer, people know about that, do they? It's I bribe. know, and I struggle <laughs> explaining it, but I do. I educate a customer by a customer. by customer. I'll educate them all if I have to. But they, they like it, you know. It's just it's a little bit of an edge. So I've got two cars like this, which MOTs, they would expire in April or May. But the government, again, they've stepped up, and they're actually extending every MOT by six months. But yeah. they're not extending it from now. They're extending it from the day that it ends, during the lockdown, so if you ah, got an right. finishing on the 29th of April, yeah, then on the on the next day you will actually see an expiry date in October. Right, um, right. And it'll effectively give 18 months between some tests. But um, we obviously we can sell the car. I know that the cars are roadworthy, worthy. We, we've checked them. We know that they will pass. It was just a formality, or so we yeah. thought. But of course, the garages that we use are all closed, and um, I've spoken to the bosses on the phones, and they'll stay closed for the foreseeable, at least until the lockdown ends. Yeah. So, but yeah, the, the stock is 90% ready to go, or 95. My cars are never 100% ready. I always see a couple of things that I want to improve, but we have to, there has to be a line. We have to stop with the preparation somewhere because we're not restorers after all. We just buy them and sell them. I don't need to make them look like brand new.
0: Yeah, and, and have you had any inquiries during the uh, coronavirus? Five
1: or six emails on average, and right, almost every good. day we get a phone call. Yeah, I get a lot of emails. I strongly suspect um, eBay in fake, in fake inquiries like car gurus used to send all the time, Yeah, simply yeah. because they, I renew the contract with them about a month ago and then the inquiries just start flooding in and I can't explain it because I was with them before, I'm with them now, the adverts are the same, the prices are the same, the stock is the same and I've got a few emails a day whereas before I had a few a week and I'm thinking that they may be direct traffic to me in some way. Now yeah. that I've signed on the dotted line and that traffic in a month will probably be focus somewhere else, I, I don't know.
0: And, and how much is that then, uh, CarGurus?
1: Uh, so I I no longer pay gurus, I'm on their free package. Ah, right, but my, right. Oh, so, so you pay, didn't pay for it then? He, I was paying before and it didn't work for me. I went off of it but they still listed the stock on the free package and I, I don't mind being on there eBay Motors and um, Gumtree combined, obviously this new platform that they rolled out. For me, it's just £320 a month, which is quite good for 20 cars. Yeah. But other people have said that they're paying double, and more than double this, because eBay has this legacy price structure for the old customers to reward yes. us for the loyalty. And for new customers, they charge more, but they charge so much more that I feel they missed an opportunity there. They could have come yeah. in a bit more price aggressively and um, rob a few people off of Trader. As it yeah. stands, they're just not a viable proposition about £600 for 20 cars. And if you get a quarter yeah, of the old right. trader inquiries, I don't see the point. At £300, of course, I'll pay it. But yeah. at 600 I'll think twice.
0: It's, it's you, you know, eBay motors, every time that I'm thinking, right, I'm going to get rid of it. I always sell a car through eBay, eBay Motors when I'm when it's I'm as thinking. If
1: they read your mind, is not it? Yeah. They read your mind and then direct
0: the inquiries yeah. in your way. It's so annoying. Like I'm, i gonna. Well, I was going to get rid of it about five times, and every time that's happened, for for me, I think I only pay. I think it's two hundred pounds when I get. It's around two hundred pounds. Yeah. I get twenty five cars. Yeah, but me personally, I wouldn't want my cars on Gumtree because I think that's just a place for like selling a sofa.
1: Absolutely, obviously, they've been pushing the platform for a while. But I said to them, um, I I'd, I'd rather you have a package where Gumtree is completely excluded. She laughed. The account manager laughed on the phone. Yeah, and she said, No, we don't have a package like this. You've got to have them all now. Motors yeah. has always been surprisingly good for me. I get a few emails of them a week, and they're normally. You know, like bread and buttery stock, something like a Mini Cooper, a newish car with a nice spec, it yeah. goes to above middle aged buyers on motors, quite similar to Oak Trader, really. But it, it used to cost me 88 pounds a month for 20 vehicles, or 25, I'm not sure, because I never had more than 20. Yeah. Um, but I thought that was tremendous value. And now yeah. they've bundled it with eBay, and it works out roughly the same, but it'll just be one bigger invoice every month for yeah. those 300 <laughs> of pounds. That's not too bad, that no, I, I then. Didn't, I didn't, no, I'm sure it'll pay for itself.
0: Yeah, definitely. I didn't realize um, Mortars was on there. But I must admit, I've never had one customer come in and say, oh, I was on Mortars looking for a car. So, Same here.
1: I, I spend a lot of time now talking to customers. Where did you find us? How do you, I asked them, how did you search? How did you start your search? Um, I asked them about the technicality of finding us. Because you know us dealers talk and they say, oh, people just go on Google and put this car in that car and yes some people go on Google and some people don't go on Google and You've got to be on as many platforms as you can But you have to I guess keep your eye on the ball and know what um, Your advertising is generating in terms of return and if you overspend somewhere maybe curb that spend Maybe stop it suspended for a while see if it affects the sales. the problem I have is that the business the size of mine It's just 20 cars. That's just too small sample and yeah. sometimes if you're not in one platform, if you lose a couple of sales a month for me, those couple of sales, that's like 40% of the monthly sales. Yeah. yeah. And I just don't, I don't dare to, for example, switch off auto trader for five months and measure the difference in response because I think in my case, it will be dramatic. It will be huge. I yeah. can't see them finding me that easily on Google, not with the minimal efforts I've been spending on certainly on Google. I should be spending a lot more, but then, our time is, you know, where do you draw the line? Where yeah. when do you stop? And I just physically cannot do everything.
0: Definitely, I think there's no, there's no magic formula. It's like the grass is green on the other side, and you have other car traders like, oh, I only just advertise on eBay. Then you've got traders uh, that are saying, oh, I only advertise on Instagram, and you've just got to find what works best for you. Absolutely, and I think, yes, and I, I think,
1: in, in my case, it was because I started on eBay. When I started back in the day, I didn't start selling cars. I just started selling stuff on eBay. And yeah. we're talking 2003, 2004, when well, it so wasn't it, popular. Is that how you got into
0: cars then? selling? So it's, it's a bit of a
1: long-winded story, but we've got time in these, in these difficult times. So yeah. what I was working, I had a full-time job as a health and safety consultant in a company in, in uh, southwest London, in Southwark. And it was a nice office with about 50, 55 staff, and they were all young people, all very trendy. And when the first iPod came out, you know the ones with the scroll wheel, yeah. the legendary ones, yeah. the five gigabyte ones, and five gigabyte back in the day seemed like uh, all the storage in the world, didn't it? Yeah. And they all wanted cases for them, like silicone cases. And they didn't, nobody was selling them at the time. and They couldn't find any from anywhere. And I found a company in, in California. They were called Spec Products. And they did a case which was called Spec Skin. This was the name of it. Right. And they said, but how can you buy from them? They don't have a shop in the UK. And Apple was selling similar stuff for maybe 30 or 40 quid or something stupid, like it's super expensive. And I rang up the company in California and a girl answered and I said, we want to buy some. And she said, the minimum amount is, I think it was about 400 or 500, something like this. But it was for 500 cases, she only wanted about $900. So I paid them with a credit card over the phone. And in about two weeks, a box the size of a fridge arrived by DHL. (laughs) And it was full of 400 cases in retail packaging. And in the office, we had about 40 people that wanted them. So I uh, basically, we all chipped in about 20 quid each. And we all had a case for about 20 quid, half the price of what actually now about 15 pounds, a third of the price. Everyone was very happy, but I still had that box full of stuff. And I started listing them on eBay. And every day I would sell three or four of them on eBay for between, obviously I always play with the prices, but they went for between 15 and 20 quid. So in terms of margin, in terms of return, it was a massive return on investment. But what it did for me, A, it opened up my eyes about selling on eBay. And it generated feedback as well. And feedback, back in those days, it was king. It still is, I think. Yeah, and that's how I started. So I had six or 700 feedback. And then I bought myself a BMW. I mean, I, I say I bought it, I bought myself. I just bought it to drive around in the summer. And ultimately, it was the first car I sold on eBay. But not as a business. I sold it as a hobby. And that's how a lot of businesses start. Yeah, A BMW 518, tremendously underpowered the older version, the E34, built like a tank. We drove it all around Scotland. We went on this huge trip around the UK. I've got a, I've got a picture of me by the car, by Loch Ness, and I'm holding the exhaust back box in my hands. It wasn't, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the back box from my car. It was just the back box I found on the roadside. And the opportunist that I am, I just lifted the back box, and I've got a very nice picture of me holding the back box. Everyone that sees it, they think it's from my car. <laughs> yes. um, I bought the car for eleven hundred privately. It was nine years old, and it was a lot of car for eleven hundred pounds then and I sold it for seventeen fifty on eBay in an auction a no reserve auction oh, brilliant. to a guy called Tony from Leeds, so Tony from Leeds will have the distinction of being my very first customer ever but <laughs> well, that's a good a good margin as well isn't it six hundred for an eBay Well, well no, back no, in the come day, back. about. Absolutely. Back in the day, 1400 would have been my monthly salary from a full-time employment, <laughs> yeah. and I got about 600 from that car. But obviously when I got the car, I just drove it. I didn't do anything to it. I didn't even um, yeah. The owner of one of the garages we work with, they tell me a funny story about him explaining to me about 15, 16 years ago now, what's the difference between a brake disc and a brake pad? <laughs> obviously, English isn't, my, English isn't my first language. Give me the benefit of the doubt. But I don't even know the difference in my native Bulgarian. So um, he, he's laughing at me to this day. But then you have to start somewhere.
0: Oh, I, honestly, I was exactly the same. I, I didn't know what a clutch was, if I'm being totally honest. I just uh, I winged it for about two years. And, uh, but I just remember that, that first profit the first car that i sold and the profit it was it was a, it was a massive buzz and i thought I thought this is it i've made it i thought that's it i know what i'm gonna do now for the rest of my life so, so
1: david how does a dj leave the mediterranean and, and goes to your to <laughs> set up a car business like go back a step from the first profit yeah well with me i've been a
0: dj for i'm 40 now and i've been a dj since i was 16 so that's 24 years and um, yeah, I worked abroad in, in Mallorca, I worked all over the world, I've, I've done, uh, if you've ever heard of UFC cage fighting, I used to do the, yes, you know, Conor McGregor, so I DJed the first Conor McGregor fight that he'd done at UFC, I think it was in Stockholm in Sweden and I used to play the music in between the fights, so I used to do that, I DJed in nightclubs. And then when I had my little boy when I was, I think I was 32, I thought, you know, what? I can't keep doing this DJ malarkey because I was I was getting in every night at like four or five in the morning, four nights a week. And then my little lad would get up at like six, seven. And I was just walking around like a zombie. And I, I just needed a career change. That's all it was. So being, being a DJ as well, you get a lot of time during the day because you're working on a night. I, I did have a friend who, who was in the motor trade. I looked up to him when I was younger and I thought, you know, if, if, if he can do it, then I'm going to give it a go. And uh, that, that's what I done. I just, uh, I got on Gumtree first looking for, because I, I, I did sort of know that the, the auction is expensive to buy cars when you
1: first start out would you agree with that yeah i don't i don't remember when i started so many years ago i used to buy some cars from auction but i don't remember how they compare to other other sort of avenues i think one what what was ideal, is that though, I, you... I was i was in the, the you know i was looking at cars that were like
0: 6 700 pounds if you go to the auction and you get something for 400 and then buyers fees were like 100 i think it was 150 something back in
1: the when i because i started before you i remember cheaper buyers fees i would buy a 500 pound car with about a 50 pound buyer fee um if it was a smaller engine i would tax it with about 60 pounds for six months
0: yeah and basically
1: i would have out the door a car that was ready to sell and it would cost about 700 to 800 And with the little did I know back in the day, I didn't know that the car, I need to check pads and discs and to do the oil and the filter and the pollen filter and to pay for electronic diagnostics. I just, I didn't do those things, not because I was cutting corners, but I was just seeing circles, David. I didn't even know that they were corners to be cut. I thought that it was, they were good enough and they were good enough. I was, I was selling 13, 14, 15 cars in my best month out of a stock of four. And what that means is I never had more than four at any one time. They were moving they were coming today, selling tomorrow in some cases, coming today yeah. and selling today. And the gum tree that we hate so much now, back in the day, it, was, it generated instant response. I would advertise a car and when I pressed submit, in about 15 minutes, the phone would begin ringing. Yeah. And we were in London, in, in northwest London. We had four tube stations about 10 minutes away from our house and it was... Um, in some respects, an ideal place to, to to start trading cars because you've got so many customers coming in yeah. other places. In other respects, of course, it was horrible. But what yeah. can you do? Same for me because I was in
0: Sheffield. It's sort of it's in the centre of England, in the United Kingdom. So again, I was buying them off Gumtree and then putting them on, and within well, I was buying them on Gumtree and then selling them on Auto Trader, and. I'd never have a car for more than two weeks. If I, if I had it more than two weeks, it felt like overstock, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> no, it's like if I've had a car for more than six months, I'm like, all right, I better get rid of it now. So, yeah, but back then you just, it's just, you, I don't know how I've done it to be honest, because my phone was going constantly. And, uh, but but I think that's the buzz about being a motor trader, isn't it? You just, you're looking for that next deal all the time. You're looking for that next hit.
1: I was always looking forward to the next bite. Every dealer you talk to, I've not seen an exception. Everyone loves the buying far more than they do the selling bit. It's yeah. the buying that everyone still does. All the bosses of the big companies, I see the auctions, they're there buying, and they've got the salespeople doing the selling. Yeah. Um, certainly, the after sales isn't anyone's favorite, for sure.
0: Yeah. But I, just, <laughs> I
1: used to love the, the, the auction buying, the buzz in the hole. But with time, I think once you buy a few thousand cars in a certain way, then you fancy a bit of a change. And I'm warming a lot to buying online now and um, online you've got a lot of opportunity to research you can check a lot more stuff on a car obviously not physically but things like the past history the mileage you can check the market better you can retail check it a little bit obviously in an auction hall you see the metal you see the tires you see the wheels the interior you can listen at an engine but it doesn't mean a whole lot obviously before the car covers a few miles and I used to hate, you know, one of the things I hated in, there are a few things that I hate, but one of the ones I hated the most were the first 100 or 200 yards out of the barriers. When the barrier opens and you drive it out of the auction car park, those first couple of hundred yards what I used <laughs> to hate because you would then find out whether the car would accelerate, whether it yeah. would be limp mode. It happens, doesn't it? You've got, you've got to,
0: it, it, you know, no trade out there has never been stung. Everyone's been stung. And the more, the more that it happens to you, where, where, if it happens now, it, it doesn't bother me one little bit. But back, back in the day when I first started, I'd, I'd get in the car, in the, in the compound. And if I turned the car on and it was on <coughs> radio, radio, radio 4, I'd be like, oh, Brilliant. <laughs> I've been thinking it's some old bloke that's had it, and I stood for that as well in the auction. All you know the um, the, the the trust stickers for when people go walking. National
1: trust, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I've got two of them on my car. Absolutely, I do. <laughs> Careful, oh so, yeah. That. So if, I, that.
0: if I've ever got to send a, a car to the auction, I'll put like a national trust sticker in. Put it on radio for. If it's got a dodgy gearbox, and then you know, I might get a better bid. But yeah, all them little things. Yeah, I used to look for. I used to overthink. I used to give myself analysis paralysis, and I think a
1: lot of people do that in the beginning. Yes, because it seems like every purchase seems like a big deal. Every purchase in, is in the thousands, and when you're not used to spending thousands every two days, of course you'll be overanalyzing. And I've been with. I've been to auctions with newer dealers and um, just starting up and I feel sometimes guilty for not looking as deep as they do. Yeah. And I was with a guy and he said, are you not going to open the bonnet? I said to him, I've not opened a bonnet in an auction hall for maybe two years now. <laughs> Obviously, every, I had this feeling of guilt for not looking as much as um, I was supposed to be looking. Yeah. And they check everything, every millimetre, they look and um, he even had a paint thickness gauge to measure the paint on various <laughs> panels yeah. and I just don't have that in me anymore and I don't know whether it's because I've seen so many cars or because we can fix everything reasonably inexpensively or because I yeah. know that the times of um, having buyers that they themselves carry those paint thickness gauges up, I hope yeah. long gone, I certainly haven't had one, not in the past couple of years. Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely, I, would, I don't do that. And, and, and do you remember the first car you bought at the auction? Were you shaking with nerves? I,
1: or were you okay? I don't remember. It probably wasn't the very first, but I remember one of the very bad ones, one of the early ones. I've certainly bought a lot of bad cars in my time, and I'm not very proud of it. But I remember this um, uh, 1994 Nissan Micra Hollywood, a limited edition. And obviously, on that, on that car, limited edition meant that it had the yellow stickers on the sides, which say Hollywood. And it was in um, like a dark green metallic, which was never a great color. And it had so much bits and pieces of trim missing. I bought it from BCA Bedford. I didn't even, um, all I saw was selling twice at 175 pounds. And I bought it (laughs) for, I think my bid would have been 200 then. So I bought it for 200 plus the fees. And the car had done about 130,000 miles. It, it was reasonably presentable, but when you opened the door, there were trims, bits of trim missing. The radio was missing. The ashtray was missing. There was a lot of stuff that the car didn't have um, on the inside, on the outside. And I don't know whether you've been to BCA Bedford, but as you exit the gate within 50 yards, there is a breaker for Japanese cars, a small, like a small company, but they've got a huge yard in the back, lots of yeah. Japanese stock. So I drove the micro Hollywood there, and I spent maybe 20 pounds with him. And all the missing bits, or 90% of the missing bits, including a set of Nissan wheel trims, including an ashtray, including the winder <laughs> for the manual front windows, I had all of that for 20 quid. That car sold on Gumtree for about 650, two or three days later. Oh, brilliant. So brilliant. although it was a very bad car, like a, a horrible car, that you wouldn't even, I wouldn't even take it in part exchange now for all scrap value. Um, I still did okay out of it. it. It drove mechanically, it was fine. I don't even remember if it had spare key or whether it had history. But back in the day, I wasn't obsessing so much about these things.
0: No, it, you know, if, you, if you're willing to put the work in, there's, there's definitely money in, in the cheaper cars. But- I love a
1: cheap car, but I need it to come to me in part exchange. I can't be doing hundreds of miles to, to be sourcing them and driving them. I've spent too much time on the side of the road waiting for the AA or the RAC or whoever had <laughs> yeah. the pleasure of basically hosting our breakdown recovery assistance service. If it comes in part exchange, we're we'll putting a lot of work in an old car, the same amount that it goes in a new car, yeah, even bigger sometimes. Well, not sometimes, every time, just because they're so old. Yeah. I know there is money in them, but at the same time, when I know that the customer will come with a magnifying glass and his cousin and his cousin's friend that used to work for Ford seven years ago, yeah, uh, yeah. and all these two-hour, you know, it's. Inspections—they will pay somebody 250 pounds to come and mechanically inspect the whole car, <laughs> bumper to bumper, top to bottom. I—it's just the patience for all that I don't have. The yeah. cars themselves, I don't mind. Yeah. But um, I don't know whether we've talked about this. But I'm being taken to court over a hundred pounds for a Kia Picanto, oh. which. Did did we have we talked about have I told you about? Well, I, I see. I
0: seen it on the, the dealer forum, and uh, I've I've read about that... it some time ago. And yeah, we I thought... all
1: thought that maybe it wouldn't progress to court, but I got the yeah. letter that the court date is set for the sixth of August. I am assuming this will change, but it's in the Royal Courts of Justice. Oh and to be honest, I've always wanted to see the inside of that. I've never thought that. I'll ever go in there as a defendant. <laughs> for for but, a little um, chibi
0: Kia Picanto. And it's not
1: for the car. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll recap the whole story. Yeah, go on. Yeah, so tell funny. us what you there. Even, you wouldn't even believe it. We, we got the car for part Exchange. we a very nice guy, actually, for about, I maybe allowed him 375 or 350. I don't remember. We did a lot of work to it. Uh, second-hand tyres we put on it, discs, pads, service, new MOT, a lot of stuff to go in a three hundred pound car. Yeah, I advertised it for about thirteen hundred in um, late November twenty eighteen. So this goes back eighteen months now. The deal, and a woman came, a Polish woman, very nice woman actually, and she huggled as if her life depended on it, and at the end she bought it for eleven hundred. And because it was December by then, it was just before Christmas, and to me it made no difference whatsoever whether I'll get 1,100 or 1,300. I wanted it gone. I needed the parking space. And I sold her the car, maybe 13th or 14th of December 2018. On the 29th, I came back from a skiing trip, and they rang me, and they seemed so distraught. It's as if their world had ended. And they said that they took the car to Halfords,
0: either Halfords
1: or QuickFit. I think it was Halfords, for a free winter check and oh the winter God. check flagged that the car could need new brake discs on the front and on the back, potentially new clutch because they had a small fluid leak and they said new brake calipers. And obviously if you total the amount of all this work like they had done oh in the, God, in yeah. the shop, too. it would have been 1500 pounds or something stupid yeah. like this. And they, I'm assuming they either lost total confidence in the car or they completely believed what they were being told. And I said to them, "Listen, bring it back uh, on the first, on, I said to them after the first of January, "Bring it back, um, and we'll take a look at it, and we'll see what we can do." And he said, "But Nick, to be honest, I do so much. I don't know whether you can fix it all." And I said to him, "If it's very bad, we'll have it back. Don't worry." On the first of January at ten o'clock in the morning, as I'm recovering from a particularly heavy <laughs> New Year's night party. The Picanto (laughs) pulls up on our drive (laughs) and for those that might be listening, if they don't know, we work from home and we've got a long driveway that, that leads up to the house. The Picanto pulls up, followed by the couple's other, a newer car. And um, and and they it was like their life depended on basically them getting, giving the Kia back and the car was dirty and the, the new wheel trims we had put on it was scuffed and it was filthy oh, and everything. Then yeah. I said to them, listen, you've driven 400 miles in about a month, less than a month actually, three weeks they had it. You've driven about 400 miles. You've got it dirty. You've scuffed it up. Uh, I don't. Basically, the first garage that could have looked at it would be closed for another five or six days before they can even put the car on a brake roller to test the brakes and all that. And I said to them, we'll buy it back from you and I'll give you a grant. I'll, I'll pay you a thousand pounds. And they both, they were very happy, they shook my hand. I transferred a thousand pounds in their account immediately straight away and they left. And I was 100% certain that I'd gone above and beyond and did everything I should have been doing. Then I took the car to a garage about a week later and do you know what, there was nothing wrong with it. It passed it, it an MOT again. Yeah. Yes, there was one brake caliper very slightly sticking, they freed it up and they said that had the car been driven This might have improved on its own, so there wasn't the car didn't have anything majorly wrong with it. And then they started sending me letters saying we were entitled to a full refund. We paid you eleven hundred. We want our hundred pounds back, and it's over these hundred pounds that we're going to court. And I said to my other half, I said to her, listen, we we shook our hands. I did exactly for them what I said I would do. I shouldn't even have um, taken the car back. I should have just asked him to come and pick it up and drive it happily because it was a lot of car for 1100 pounds but uh, no it's over these hundred pounds that we're going to the royal courts of justice on the strand in london wc1 on the 6th of august and luckily for me because i've cancelled all of my travel to the end of the year now 6th of august is a monday it's i'm free as a bird and (laughs) i'll go i just want to see what happens i'm curious Um, so if you find for them it'll be two or three hundred pounds I'm looking at when you add other stuff that the courts will add like maybe some tax and some insurance and whatever but I think for me that'll be cheap education and if I win it'll be the best experience by far from 2020 up until that point honestly
0: yeah definitely because they've had their money back so they're basically going to court for what a hundred pounds
1: Or, yeah, they're going for about 9% of the total purchase price or something because they had a £1,000 back. But for me, the bigger thing was if they told me when they were sitting in the chairs opposite in my office that they absolutely wanted the 1100 I could have probably um, negotiated with them a little bit more or or I could have at that point told them, okay, you go home now, leave me the key, have it inspected, I'll give you a call when the garage gives me their findings. But as it stood, they just wanted to have their cake and eat it too. And I wish that somebody uh, could explain this expression to me 25 years ago when I was learning English with this example, because it just it's a very nice example, this expression. You yeah. have one's cake and eat it too. That's what they wanted. They wanted yeah. to take £1,000 straight away just to be on the safe side and then to start sending me four-page letters for the other hundred.
0: Yeah. Yes.
1: And um, even the thing- logistics intervened. they were sending letters to them. And we'll see, they, they still haven't paid the final £25 court fee so, so we'll it, see what if, happens. If, if
0: they haven't paid that court fee, then it, it, it won't, will it not
1: go to court then? It will be struck out. But the thing is, because of what's happening now, they might, they've got a deadline of 6th of July, one month before the hearing date to pay the court fee. But maybe if all the, the, the terms are extended, maybe this hearing will go in in year 2021. Who knows? But That's the fair. funniest thing of all is when the Kia the came back, we cleaned it up. And I sold it for 1,500 pounds. So basically, it was worth yeah. um, 15 all day long. We just sold it too cheap for the first customer. Yeah. And it yeah. even passed its MOT without a single advisory um, in November of, of 2019, a year after I'd done my, my MOT. And it, it had done eight or 9,000 miles since I sold it. So um, the unsuitable, the unfit for purpose car that was condemned by Halfords was yeah. happily driven by someone else for a whole year which just goes to show that sometimes with cars you need to be careful selecting the car but you need to be careful selecting the customer
0: yeah and in my know, case yeah.
1: in my case there were no red flags whatsoever i i honestly didn't think i had a problem with these people at no point did i think that
0: no you, you just don't know do you so what's your process from when you buy your car at the auction and then what do you do? Do you take it home, give it your own once-over, or do you take it straight to your mechanic?
1: So basically, it, it depends on a few things. And sometimes when I've looked at the car at the auction, especially if it needs bodywork, straight from the auction, I take it straight to the body shop first. And the reason I do that is just, I just can't look at the car in, in, in a right state. And they do quite a good job for not a lot of money, and they work very quickly. And I'm always keen to get it to the body shop first. The problem with that, and I've only had it a couple of times, but it's a problem, is that you say you pay £400 for bodywork repair and then you find out that your car needs a differential and you only find it out because you did 100 miles of driving and it just yeah. uh, it increased so you felt a vibration that you didn't feel on the first drive because you were talking on the phone the whole time. That's the yeah. only problem of, of um, starting preparation on a car that you don't know quite well. But then majority of the dealers, they get the car straight from a transporter and they work on their own side without putting a single mile on it. So they're in a similar position to me in that respect. You have to start somewhere. And I typically prefer to start with collecting the car myself. If it's, if it's in Blackbush or Bedford, um, which is both of them are 45 minutes from our house, I prefer to collect because it's much quicker for me, much easier. And it gives me about a 30, 40 mile test drive on a motorway, which will yeah. show you most issues. What I would normally do is I take my machine, my diagnostics with me, and I will delete all faults from the memory in the auction car park. So when I drive it for a couple of hours to go home and to get it to a car wash and to get it to this place and that place, if there is anything um, still faulty it'll return, and you'll know on the first day, if, for example, you've got a dodgy ABS sensor or something stupid like this that um, you can work on. But I typically start body repairs first, and they're on the same induction. Estate as my mechanic, and then he'll do a service on the car. And then I, um, I use another, a third garage to do my MOTs, and they're very good, and their tester is a veteran tester. They do the MOTs for Ferrari in London, for Lamborghini, Pagati, um, all the super-prestige brands sold by HRO, and they do their MOTs. And there is a lot of value in that to me to say to my customers, listen, this little Pier Picanto that you're taking me to over, it was actually MOT by the same people that do the MOTs for Rolls-Royce. <laughs> yeah. It's a um, five-minute drive for me, but at the same time, you know, every drive is an opportunity, isn't it? It's like a mini pre-delivery check where you keep checking, yeah. is this working, is that working? I had a Mazda the other day, and I went through it with a fine-tooth comb, and I spent the whole day in that car. And only late in the evening, I found out that the, it had a problem with the central locking in the sense that when you press lock, the car locks and you hear a click, but the driver's door is actually staying open. Yeah. And it wasn't easy to find out because you just, I'm not in the habit of trying a door lock to see whether the car is locked. Nobody does it these days. You just press no. a button, lights come on yeah. and you know that yeah. it's locked. But I just, um, I opened the door, I forgot it was locked. I opened the door and the door opened. So there you go, a faulty door lock. Another I, hundred quid. What, what's
0: the most ridiculous question you get asked all
1: the time? are you married is something that comes up very regularly and I always <laughs> and I always laugh at the question and I always tell them no I live with my other half and we've been together 20 years and we never got around to tying the knot and it's uh, I'm Bulgarian originally and in Bulgaria if a lady asks you are you married normally she just wants you physically you know I mean she wants and here the question doesn't mean that here the question just means are you married as in do you? what do you do for a living and yeah. it's just one of these ice-breaking questions that people ask. But when a lady asks you the question, you kind of, you always start fluttering yourself in. <laughs> oh, I still have it in me, you know. So that's <laughs> yeah. one of the most ridiculous questions in a used car sales situation. Uh. But some of, the, some of the other ones, and there are some that I really hate, and one of them is, why is the mileage so low? And oh, yeah, that one. I hate like, it. How do you answer that? Because the car <laughs> hasn't traveled very far. Why weren't they? Because the person maybe weren't in employment. Oh, yeah. so it was owned by someone unemployed then and, yeah. <laughs> and when they sort of start reading you on from that, it's, I, I don't tell them it came from an auction, I basically I would tell a customer that the car comes from main dealer groups after they take it in part exchange, which yeah. is the truth. This is where it comes from. It comes yeah. through an auction, but they don't sell it to us, at least in most of their sections. And I, I I can't tell them the car came from an auction. I've never seen the, the people that owned it before. But I tell them it came from a dealership and the dealership, they weren't very specific. We don't know, but we're assuming from the name of the lady, look, first name of Sheila. She probably wasn't in her 20s and um, probably she was retired, probably didn't have a daily commute. And if you yeah. work out the mileage, it's about 4,000 miles a year. That's actually, what about 400 miles a month? That's still, the car has still been driven. It's not like yeah. it's not been driven. But I don't, it's a sort of question that, I want to ask every low mileage buyer, why do you want to pay me double for the same car just because it has a very (laughs) low number on a digital display? It's not a much better car. You can have a much better car for half the, you can have the same car for half the money in the same condition or for that money, you can have a much newer car with more miles. Why are you obsessing over the car having done 20,000 miles instead of 45, for example? But of course, there are some questions that we can't ask. Yeah, it's just impolite isn't it you, you don't yeah. ask them that question but at the same time we're fair game we can be asked anything
0: oh god yeah anything anything it, it, it's a bloody nightmare sometimes sometimes I say when they say oh why is it so such low mileage and I say oh I think it's been clocked to be honest and then and then I see the reaction and nobody ever laughs they all go oh has it <laughs> and I think no. and then you just go, keep pushing no, of yes, it. of hasn't. course it has yeah, yeah. So n- nobody has ever laughed at that, ever. Probably not really that funny, but to me it's funny. But yeah, I get some. What, what, what other ones do I get? Is uh, oh, uh, c- Can you tell us uh, more about the last person that had it? It's like, well, I don't know the bloody life story, but you know, what, what do you do to the person you've bought it from? Can you just give us your life story so the next person that buys it, I can tell them all about you?
1: i i 't know why i don't know why this is so important to people. I understand that because it's something used they they're not just buying the car, I guess they're buying some provenance as well. but if it's a doctor owner, what if it's a lady doctor owner, what does it <laughs> yeah. mean? It was owned by a very busy woman that was always preoccupied with other things, not with maintaining her car. whereas if it was bought by a Polish carpenter, that means that the car was in the forefront of his mind, and the car was what he spent all his money on it he was maintaining it and changed yeah. the oil five times a year but at the same time if I put Lady Dr. Rona in my advert phones go red hot on day yeah. one yeah. and yeah. of course I cannot put one Polish carpenter owner but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and it's like uh,
0: what one elderly owner When you originally get the car, there's like scuffs,
1: scrapes everywhere. Yeah, but your customer doesn't see all of that. They've seen the car already and they know that there is a single scuff on it. They don't know that you've paid £300 for body repairs to make sure that every corner is pick and span when they were using it for parking sensors.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's so funny. It's so funny when you get them ones from the older people and it's got like parking sensors at the front and the back and it's still covered in dinks and dents. Just complete waste of time, isn't it? Uh, reversing sensors for the older people.
1: Yeah, because they, if they're hard on hearing, sometimes you don't even hear the beeps. <laughs> yeah. Or if Radio 2 has been blasting through the speakers. <laughs> I had uh, Last year, I had this old
0: chap. Honestly, was lovely. Because a lot of the cars we do sell, we do sell to the older clientele. We sell a lot of aut- automatics. And uh, this chap, he bought a... Uh, a Toyota Ego, or Igo, whatever you want to call it. And uh, he had his own allotment. So a week after he bought it, he come to give me all these apples and, I don't know, fruit, what he'd been doing at his allotment. I was like, oh, that's really kind of you. Thank you very much. And then just as he was reversing out of the car pitch, he drove straight into the wall. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, like, oh. I know I shouldn't be laughing, but this is the funniest thing I've heard all week. <laughs> honestly, I've got loads of these stories I've got another one. Actually. Oh my
0: goodness but he, yeah so he drove straight into the wall and honestly I, I just felt so bad for him Eddie I, I went halves with him on the uh, on the repair to make him feel better so that was a. Um, these were some expensive fruits that yeah you got. <laughs> it was it was and his wife got and, and the thing is how he was reversing I was like he's going to go into the wall he's going to go into the wall and I'm like waving him and then all you heard was the wall like <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well then a few years ago uh, I had a I took this Dear you, in Part X and, it, you know, and I had like 25,000 miles on the clock and this woman rang so we're based like near Sheffield and this woman rang me from it was like Skegness yeah it was, it was Skegness and she's like I'm, I'm 78 and I've just passed my test and it's been my dream yes. to have a purple, dear you, Mettis. I'm thinking, is this a
1: wind-up on the phone? It does, it does. It <laughs> so much sounds like one. Sounds exactly <laughs> like the one I would have done to someone if yeah. I thought about it. She went, honestly, it, it's
0: my dream car, but for my first ever car. So um, I've got a friend in Sheffield, he wants to come and have a look at it. So, so it wasn't a wind-up, it was true. So he came come my and has a look me. at it. Long story short, She said, you know, I I don't feel like I can come to get the car and drive it back because I'm not confident enough yet because I haven't, you know, I've only passed my test a few weeks ago. So I said, oh, it doesn't matter. I said, I'll I'll drive it to your house and then you drop me off at the train station. She said, oh, that's brilliant. Thank you so much. So I drove all the way to bloody Skegness this one Saturday morning and uh, she lived... On, it was like a road where all the cars are parked on either side of the road. So p- people park outside the house to park up. And uh, I found this little spot, parked up, went in, into a house, done all the, the deal and whatnot. And then uh, she said, oh, I'll drop you off. I was like, oh, brilliant, thank you. So she gets in the car. And as she pulled out, she didn't know how to turn the steering wheel. And she just drove <laughs> straight into a parked car. She dro- I swear to God, she drove straight into a parked car. Oh, my goodness me. So, she hadn't had a car for more than 20 seconds. And, uh, yeah, I reversed out for an her.
1: Anything, anything more than a scratch on that car is a write-off if it goes to <laughs> anywhere near an insurance company. I know. I know. So... Yeah, you you get, have you got any funny stories like that then with customers? So if that was me now in your situation, I'd be making an offer to buy that day you back for about a third of the price that I just (laughs) collected from the lady or whatever and just driven it back. If it was in a drivable state, of course, and easy enough to repair.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It probably just needed a bumper on it, didn't it? But when she took it at the body shop and they seen she was 78, they probably charged her a fortune, didn't they?
1: Absolutely. We've got a lot of funny stories, That, but the thing with our stories is when we experience them for the first time, they're not funny at all. They become <laughs> funny over time. After some time passes, they become funny. And um, I, I had one some years ago, and I still laugh about it to this day, but I remember back in the day, I was so annoyed with every aspect of this story. Um, I sold in 2015. I went to a hospital. I had some internal bleeding, and it was December and I went to a hospital. I thought just for a check, but they kept me there for four or five days for tests, and I was so bored, and I had my iPad, and Wexham Park Hospital uh, near us in in, in Wexham, they have the fastest Wi-Fi I've ever seen anywhere, and I was on the iPad all the time, and this woman emails me. We had an advert for a Porsche Boxster, about a 2004 car, 8,900 pounds or similar, and she starts sending me emails with silly little questions about the car. And of course, I'm in the hospital bed with all the time in the world and fastest Wi-Fi ever. And I answered every little minor niggly question she could think of. One of them was, does the car have black center caps or yellow? And I (laughs) thought, bloody hell, on a Ferrari, that's a thousand pound option difference. But on the Porsche, it's just the difference between the car being older or newer. And on my pictures, you couldn't really tell because of the, the dark afternoon light that I like it just... So I had to ring my other half from the hospital bed to go out the house to see the color of the center cups. They were black. Ultimately, this is what she wanted. And lo and behold, she sends me a 300-pound deposit. And I, as I lie in my hospital bed, she sends it straight to our bank account. And she says, I'll be with you on Saturday to collect. But it was a Thursday, I think, or a Wednesday, and the doctors couldn't tell me whether I'll be out on Saturday. And I, um, on the next day, I called her and I said her name was Linda. I said, Linda, I, I'm in a hospital, I can't explain, but I might, might not be out on Saturday. Oh, don't worry, love, I'll come next Saturday. And she wasn't even remotely bothered by not being able to travel straight away to collect the Porsche that I assumed she would badly want. Now, they let me go maybe on a Sunday or a Monday now, and I, I gave her a call and I said, you're welcome on Saturday. Oh, I can't come on Saturday, can I send you a slightly bigger deposit and we'll do it in a couple of weeks. She sent me another 500 quid. And then she started answering my calls, stopped answering my calls for maybe a week or two. I couldn't even reach her. I would call and I'd have a missed call and she wouldn't return my call. I'd send her a text. And the car was still for sale on, um, on auto trader. And I had a decision to make. I had 800 pounds of that woman's money, but she wasn't answering my calls. And I rang her up and I said, listen, we've got your deposit, but we've got a lot of interest in the car. I need to know whether you are committed to the purchase. And then she rang me up and said, I I don't know when I can travel to pick it up, but I'll send you all the money for it. So she sent me the balance to the account on a car that she hadn't seen, and we hadn't done a video call, or we hadn't done any extra photos, or we hadn't done any of that. Basically 25 or 30 pictures, nine grand in my account. So sold from the hospital bed. This was in January, 2016. She came to pick it up on the 20th of July, 2016, believe it or not. I had her car for seven months and every week the same would repeat. When are you going to come? I'll travel down on Saturday. Fine, Saturday is fine, Linda. And every Friday she'd call me or text me. Something came up, I can't make it. And then on Saturday she turns up, the 20th of July, and we'd spoken on the phone that we're putting her car on trickle charge, but we needed to replace the battery because it had become quite weak up to that point. And those cars, they like a good battery. And she comes and she brings me a bottle of champagne. Her name was Linda Chandon. And every time we spoke, she said, Linda, like the champagne. Chandon, like the champagne. <laughs> and we talked so much about this Chandon champagne. She actually brought me a She wasn't in no way connected to the champagne family. It was just her favorite yeah. brand and her name. So this is quite funny. But at the time, I was very annoyed of having to basically um, look after this car, clean it every now and then. Of course, now thinking about it, I had a free Porsche for about seven months. <laughs> yeah. And she did say to me, um, you please go and drive it because I don't want the brakes to rust. So basically, yeah, I had a free Porsche for a few months. Oh, but brilliant. at the time, it didn't feel, I, I wasn't feeling very fortunate about it. Now, though, oh, I'm quite happy. And when she arrived, she was about 60 years old. And she was this very eccentric woman. And yeah. she never explained to her, why did it take you so long? She was from uh, Lancashire, somewhere, either Preston or Leland either one or the other and she said I'm just I'm busy Nick I've got other stuff to do and she never gave me an explanation why she would buy a car in January convertible and then go and collect on the 20th of July when the summer ends on the 1st of August as we all know that's crazy that is absolutely crazy and was it was it a special sort of color or was it a special sort of model? It was, it was dark blue metallic of the sort that I probably sold six or seven of them. It was There was nothing exceptional about it. I think she was just eccentric and she loved the fact that somebody was answering her silly messages, which, <laughs> to be honest, 95% of us dealers, me included, I wouldn't normally answer some of these questions on a normal average busy day in um, it was late December early January I don't remember the exact hospital dates but I was there for about a week and I was just in a position where I was lying disabled in a bed with the iPad in my hands and she could ask me anything and I would have answered she never asked me if I was married though annoyingly <laughs> <laughs> Right. so I think
0: you must just have a trust in voice as well that probably helps
1: Some people, some people are very trusting and I, over the years, I'm, I'm seeing that customers are becoming more difficult after the sale. Like they've got higher expectations during their ownership, but it's becoming a lot easier for them to arrive to their decision and buy. Um, no three hour inspections, very few AA inspections paid for in advance, very few sort of ping pong sessions of messaging and emails with a number of questions. When was the cam belt replaced? What brand was the water pump? Was it plastic or aluminum? Yeah, I used to answer, yeah. you know, dozens and dozens of questions in my eBay heyday. I was yeah. constantly on the computer having 10 emails to answer. And now nobody asks anything. They just they pay yeah. me the money in advance and they come and pick up the car and drive it away in the sunset. And if we're all fortunate, I only hear from them again when they need a replacement or when they call me to ask if they can pass my number to a friend or a relative and I even promise them some financial gratitude for that because I'm grateful
0: yeah it's, it's great when it's like that it is good it is good you do um, it's, a, it's a bit like scoring a goal uh, Brian Clough said oh god I can't remember what, I can't remember his uh, his quote but it's something when it takes a second to score a goal and it's a bit like that with selling a car well, absolutely but yes, especially absolutely. when you you'll go through a real bad barren spell and then you'll get somebody ring you up and they'll say, oh, I want this car. They won't have seen it. And they'll say, I'll send you the money now. And, and that's it. You've, you've done a sale. You've got the money in your account. It's such a, it's a what's the word? It's a uh,
1: buzz, it's excitement. Yeah, it's, a, it's, yes. a
0: buzz. it's excitement. There's a lot of ups
1: and there's a lot of downs, isn't there? I'll tell you my two favorite moments in this whole sort of line of work. Uh, well, the two favoring selling moments, because we're talking about the selling, not the buying. the The most favorite moment I have is that moment after, just after the test drive, when the husband and the wife are looking with this expression in their eyes, and you know that in about a minute a hand will be shaken. So that it's that my favorite part. Yes, <laughs> that one minute before, because normally they, I know that they want to buy it. I know that they do during the test drive, but no one ever during the. Test drives told me, yes, Nick, I'll have it. Every yeah. time they come back, park it up, they have a couple of other questions, they exchange looks, you know, yeah. knowing nodding glances, and those nods, that's my favorite moment because I know i sold it. Yeah, obviously yeah. without too much huggling. There could yeah. be a bit of huggling involved after that if they take it in that direction. Yeah. And this brings us nicely to my least favorite moment my least favorite second in this line of work. When you think they will extend their hand to shake your hand. And instead, when they say, thank you so much for your time, we've got another two to see, but I will definitely let you know either way. When that happens, it's, if they stab me, I will be less offended, to be honest. And because yeah. I don't pressure sell, I don't demand from the answers in advance, so there is always the 50-50 of yes, they'll buy, and no, they won't. But it's that one, <laughs> it's typically a second or two seconds yeah. when they inhale normally and exhale. <laughs> They've built you up and then you're straight back down, aren't you? Yes, because they feel during a test drive, when they know they're not buying, they feel they need to praise you and the car and your setup and the preparation. They think that when they praise you enough, going then and saying, I've got another two to see, when you know that uh, they're probably just wasting your time and somebody else's time and there isn't a purchase anywhere on this side of the week or the month.
0: Yeah, it's horrible, that. It's absolutely horrible. It's a
1: very nice car. We like it. It's the, it's the first one we've, see, uh, we've seen. And uh, we're just beginning our search. And in <sighs> the next month to two months, we'll definitely have a decision. And we'll definitely let you know either way. That's, yeah.
0: You definitely. can swear
1: at me and I'll be less offended than to this this one <laughs> yeah. sentence, that, this stunt that customers pull time and time again.
0: Because for, for me on a Sunday, it was quite... I, I used to... Do appointments on a Sunday. Well, I don't do it anymore now, but back then, if it, if it was a Sunday, I'd say they'd ring up and they'd talk, oh, Can we come and see the car? And I'd say, oh, have you Have you got a few more to see? Like after you've been to see, if, if you come and see this one, and if they said, Oh, yeah, yeah, we've just started our search, then I'd get them off that car. So, oh, sorry, you can't do it today. We've got, you know, if I was meeting somebody on a Sunday, it had to be in store guaranteed that I was 99% going to get
1: the deal. Yeah, it's very, very bad when that happens when, but then we can either sort of weed them in advance and this will dramatically reduce the number of people that we interact with and unfortunately the number of people that we sell to, or we have to subject ourselves to some time loss and yeah, I guess the small money loss associated with a test drive when the customer doesn't buy. And I. I'm forever trying to find a way to prevent, to stop this from happening, to ask enough questions in advance. You've you've got got to qualify
0: him, haven't you? You've got to qualify. Absolutely, but the truth is that
1: they they don't, some of them, they don't know. They're undecided and they have no idea whatsoever what the most desirable outcome is. And sometimes when they arrive, they're 20% certain they'll buy and 80% certain that they won't. And by the time we've done the test drive and we've seen all paperwork and everything else and we've spent, sometimes two hours here unfortunately Um and and they say yeah you know I think we'll have it and and that's it that's what I like of course I like even better the situation that you mentioned earlier when somebody rings you up and says yes I've seen your advert I've looked at your pictures this is the car I want can I send you a deposit or can I send you the money that's yeah. by all means my desired outcome but um, yes you win the, the, some the, you lose some yeah, unfortunately the, they're all different
0: and I heard as well Another trade to say before uh, we get paid to have our time wasted, which is true, isn't it, to a certain
1: extent? Definitely yes and no. I mean, we get paid for our time, but not to have it wasted. I, I personally only get paid if I sell. I don't get paid if I show a car. And yes, they can sell if you show it to seven people. One of the seven will pay for your time ultimately. But I don't, I don't see it that way. I don't. No. I personally don't see. I think my time is quite, to me and to my family, certainly extremely valuable. And when I buy, I don't waste any person's time. Um, I buy from either corporation. So I buy from a private seller at a price that he's happy with and I pay them on the day and I I take it. I don't tell them. I've never went to buy a car from, um, every now and then I buy cars from private sellers. I've never gone and driven it and then said to them, Um, listen, I've got another two to see and then I'll I'll make up my mind and I'll let you know. Although, in theory, I could have a list of cars and I could just have the money to buy one car from the list, but I can't do that to people. If I have a list of cars, I go to the list in advance and I make up my mind which ones I want to buy and then I go and if it's suitable, I buy and and that's it.
0: Yeah, definitely. That's the best way to be. And uh, I think as well... The, the the that like my uh, motto is we want to be selling nice cars to nice people
1: so absolutely and every, everyone wants that and yeah. um, if you have a selection of rubbish cars chances are you have a selection of rubbish people to come and yeah, buy them
0: definitely
1: but of course in the modern times there is absolutely no guarantee what type of person you'll get and And some people are perfectly nice during the deal or before the deal. And then two months down the line, something snaps in them. Something happens and the nicest person in the world that was bringing you apples now suddenly destroys your property. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Touch wood that hasn't happened yet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And um, do you find as well that back in the day you'd get, phone calls quite a lot, and now it's all just messaging, emails, Facebook messages.
1: I remember what? when I came on the forum, I came on the forum, I think in 2017, so about two and a half years ago. Obviously, we go back a long time from the Oort Trader Forum, but on the Car Dealer Magazine Forum, I wasn't actively using it until 2017. And the, the, the prevailing thought at the time, and this is only two and a half years ago, was that the serious buyers will call. And a lot of the dealers on the forum then, and I'm saying then as if this was ages and ages ago, they said, I don't even bother responding to emails. I don't even uh, bother responding to text messages because people are messes. And majority of my leads now, they start, even on the auto trader, it's probably 50-50 between a phone call and either a part exchange inquiry or an email inquiry. Is the car available? Can you get in touch? And there is a phone number. So I call them basically. Yeah, And these inquiries, they back in the day from, from my eBay days, we got a lot of messaging through eBay, a lot of messages. But even then, people were calling because I always found a way to publish my phone number on um, on my listings for the cars. Yeah. Now I'm not so sure if you're selling something on eBay. Um, I think they've got rules against you, yeah, you putting your yeah, own number. Think, yeah. sometimes you put you can, your number. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. can't, can't yeah. Yeah. So, so if you get a message,
0: you'll just ring them back then instead of... Send I always message. yeah
1: I always prefer the phone call because I found that when I email, um, I chances are my emails probably half of them go in the people's spam folder. I'm just not sure whether they'll receive it or whether when they receive it, I'm not sure whether they'll remember. I personally prefer. Uh, I, there is a chain of thought that if somebody emailed you, they would prefer you to email them back. But if there is a phone number there provided. And if it doesn't say, please reply by email only, I will try and call. I always prefer the phone call because it, I think it cuts off some unneeded communication. And yeah. you get to speak to a real person. You know, it's, yeah. it's not a fake lead. Um, and sometimes you learn a lot about the person, a lot about what stage of the car buying journey they're at just from a couple of minute conversation. And I try to extend the conversation to be on the couple of minutes when I can, when I have the time when I sense that they have the time to build a little bit of a rapport. Yeah. And sometimes you speak 10 minutes with a customer and it's me and him against the world in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: Yeah. You've you've got, you've got the
1: trust, haven't you?
0: You've got the trust. You've got
1: some trust. Yes. You can never have the trust. Just from a short telephone conversation, but you get some trust and you can relay some information to them. Like what can you tell me? uh, What more can you tell me about the car is what people ask. And it's, they're asking this, but what they mean is, what can you really tell me about yourself and your operation and you know your that dealership so true, and your product? That. And, and That's this, so true. they ask, because if they, if they tell you, what can you tell me about yourself? You can say, listen, this is not much.com. We're a business, we're business people here. <laughs> yeah. So they tell you, what can you tell me about the car? But I've got 71 images. Sometimes yeah. I have a video. I've got 1500 words. And in addition, I've got a full spec list and yeah. a number of other information sources. So they should know, before they speak to me or email me, they probably know everything about the car I could possibly tell them. Because yeah. in my adverts, everything, I, I just put everything there, too much information sometimes. Yeah. But as a buyer, I want as much information as I can, and I'm just working on the assumption that some of my buyers are the same. I know not all people read all the adverts. In fact, no. some of them don't read at all. But yeah. when they ask me, what can you tell me about the car? I start telling them about how we found it, how we're always very careful about finding very good stock from very reputable sources. And yeah. I, uh, when you talk to me about the car, it sounds like we're talking about the car, but we're not just talking about it. We're talking about us and the garage yeah. that did it. And they did an MOT for the Rolls, Roy- for Rolls Royce and Lamborghini and Pagani. And the same garage did an MOT on the car and, and there were no advisory items and if there, even if there had been any, we would have probably resolved them
0: yeah. before the sale. It's so true that because when they ring up and they say, "Can you tell us more about the car?" It sort of gets you on the back foot. So if somebody does send a message, like I'm going to implement this now, because normally I just write back to them, but if you, if you ring them back, like you're saying, it's it's it, it's cutting out their messages. Uh, it's cutting out them questions of the customer saying uh,
1: I, I feel Tell me more about the car. Yeah, I feel it's a shortcut. It brings you closer to the customer in a way and it it basically what it does is It gives you some hours of advantage before that customer speaks with another dealer because they could have sent 10 email inquiries and typically out of 10 email inquiries, they'll get maybe two, two or three replies if they're yeah. lucky. A lot of dealerships don't, they're not effective in, in replying to these leads to this day. And yeah. I know everyone improves and improves and improves and improves, but it's one area where my customers, they time after time, they say, we sent five emails and you were the only one that replied. Or we sent yeah. 10 emails and we got three, three replies. So there is this, I think, 60% ratio of miscommunication you dial the number, what what often happens though with dialing the number? I'd use my mobile, and of course when yeah. they um, email, they they emailed an ad from the auto trader, and they will have if they don't answer, and some people don't answer unknown calls, or if they miss a call, they don't return a call from a number that they don't know. Then if I get um, if I don't get them, I will send a text message. I'm Nick from Lovely Cars. I was trying to reach you regarding one of the vehicles that we have for sale. Blah blah blah, so yeah. that they know that that number is mine, and then typically they'll call me back. Yeah.
0: That's great. that, <coughs> that is uh, excuse me. That is that's really good advice, that definitely. Um, oh god, can't think of the word. So if you're doing your valuations, do, do you use CAP or do you just yes, use
1: AutoTrader? I've always used CAP. Obviously AutoTrader is providing valuations for three years maybe, or I don't know, maybe four, but I've used CAP since two thousand and five, two thousand and six. And there is this really good um, on the Volkswagen website. If you just type in Google Volkswagen Part Exchange, it brings you to a page which is I'm assuming Volkswagen have a like a partnership with Cup and it's it looks like unlimited valuations. And I use that and it's an accurate cup clean, cup average and cup bottom book guide. So it's it's very good and it's right now it's free. At some point I'm assuming that this will stop. But it's it's working perfectly and that's what I use and have been for quite a while. I always um, when I buy, I always trust Cup implicitly because in an auction situation, you have to, and I know that it, sometimes it's incorrect in a retail environment, and, and this is the advantage now that we have with the online. If I decide to buy something, I look at Cup first, and then I go on the computer on either off-trade or other sites just to gauge where the retail price on, on the vehicle yeah. is. But even that doesn't tell you the, the story because some car supermarkets now, they have this. I guess sleeper vehicles, big motoring world are one of the most prolific ones where you'll, you'll look at Cup and Cup will tell you to pay 15000 for a car. Then you go on Trader and you find one for fifteen seven, yeah. and it looks seemingly the same. But of course, if you want to buy that car, first of all, it will not be physically available. But if you ring them up and if you say, is it available? They'll say, yeah, yeah, come and see it. When you go there, they will tell you this was sold, but we got this one for 16750 yeah. or yeah. 17250 yeah. And if that car is available, and if they sell you for that lower price, they will demand that you purchase a £1,000 three-year warranty extension from them, yeah. or they'll yes. charge you their £296.71 and admin fee. And it's these sleeper vehicles which are the problem that you are look, you're seeing on AutoTrader, and you have to make an assumption in a split second whether yeah. that's, whether you're competing against it or not. Because if a customer calls, and if they say, no, this is sold, this is not available, then you're not competing against it. Although one thing it does is it puts this price point into people's minds and it makes them reluctant to pay any more. Yeah. It's and they will come to you and they'll even print off the advert and try and that's where the problem is. So you've, I personally trust Cup when I buy and I hope that there is money to be made somewhere down the line.
0: Good. Because you know, I look at some cap prices and I think flipping heck I've seen that car on Autotrader for around that price. But What you've just said there, yeah, it makes a lot of sense because the price what they've got on auto trader, like the the supermarkets, that's the finance price as well. You cannot physically buy that car
1: with cash. They don't want your cash. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And if they have a big finance commission percentage, I would would understand them doing it. In fact, I was considering putting in some of my adverts a couple of years ago, um, this is only available on finance. Because after a couple of discounts and a couple of repairs, the margin, it just isn't there anymore. So if it sells to a cash buyer, or God forbid, the worst case scenario is a combination of cash and part exchange that in itself has some other problem that you may or may not find before you buy it. And I'm not one, when I take a part exchange from someone, when I buy that car, that carries mine. I'm not one to go on the phones and threaten them with court action unless they send me 500 quid for the engine problem that they didn't disclose or the DSG gearbox that yeah after you drive it an hour it begins vibrating yeah yeah
0: same here same here because you, you've bought it at trade money haven't you so it's just it's it, it's part of the job you've got to accept that
1: absolutely so, and i emphasize this very heavily when i buy i will i will honestly I'll pressure the customer as much as i can to buy the car from them privately for the lowest possible figure and i will heavily emphasize the fact that when they pay me the deal for them, that's the end of it. They'll get my money and they'll see me again when they want to sell their next car. Yeah. But I'm not going to be on the phone complaining or anything like this, whereas when I sell a car, that's not an end of a deal. That's, well, that's the beginning, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, so you, you know when um, people send a message and the first question is, what will you take? How would you reply to that?
1: I, uh, if, if it's if it's what's your best price, I will reply with something like, my best price is, say, £200 over the advertised, whatever that is. My best price is yeah. this. But um, I'm happy to accept, if I've advertised it for 3000 Um I'll just put it. I'm happy to accept 3000 and I'll spell 3000 in words so that it looks different to the 3000 yeah. number which is on the advert copied above. Yeah. But um, they will then try, maybe. Some people will try... But I don't get, I get very few of these these days. I don't know whether it's the stock profile, whether it's the location where we're in London, around London where everyone is an immigrant, everyone is, and I'm one of them so I can easily say it, everyone is very price aggressive, as if their life depends on the last 50 pounds. Yeah. And this expression last price, I'm assuming the Albanian mafia came up with it 20 or 30 years ago. And somehow it's spread like a coronavirus everywhere in the UK. And, and um, when they've learned this expression, and I've talked to people to get to my last price, you need to travel to me. You need to see the car. You need to find things wrong with it, which you didn't think were wrong when I advertised it. Then you need to sit on the chair opposite me and you need to work quite hard for every 50 pounds you manage to chip down on me, just because it's basically it's my income and I don't want to get any less for the car than I can from someone else. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, but I'm a cash buyer. I'll give you cash money. And I tell them if I get the cash, if I go to my bank, HSBC, they charge me 1.2% for cash pay in deposits. So yeah. all I can do with the cash is basically just spend it, not declare it, hide it from the government. And then and I tell the customer this and it, <laughs> the color of their faces change. And I tell them, and this will, be, this will mean me and you jointly defrauding the HMRC of their VAT. <laughs> and <laughs> when, you, when you put it away to anyone... Yeah. Uh, they've got a huge amount of sense of humour immediately they're on the back foot but yeah. I will only say that when I know that there is no deal to be had and just before I wave them goodbye and um, I'll only say that then
0: yeah definitely because De- it's really on our adverts the third picture in in it says or oh, fourth or fifth it says all
1: cars fixed price I've seen I've seen that yes
0: yeah and you still get people messaging you saying oh what's your best price and it just shows that Quite a lot of people are just looking at that first picture on the advert and probably just sending out emails to loads of different traders,
1: just chancing their arm. But bear in mind, there are some people, I personally will get motivated by something like our prices are fixed. I'll get very motivated by being able to chip something down, you know? I'll, I'll, yeah. All my ambition will kick in to be able to get something off. And if it's not the price, I'll need an extended warranty or maybe yeah. some fuel, or maybe yeah. a bag of apples or whatever you can throw. And yeah. some people are like this and for them, I had somebody recently and he said the game, he repeatedly said the game. And I said to them, for me, that's not that's no game. For me, that's my life. It pays everything that you see here. It yeah. pays for the house, it pays for the kids. I, for me, that's not a hobby. I'm not a retired banker that made a million or 10 million from selling some business somewhere else. The no. income from this is, is my day-to-day, it's, it's everything. For me, that's no game. One day, when I'm retired, old, and very rich, I will call it the game, in a, like in a Bernie Eccleston way, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'll send the helicopter to come and get you in that sort of way, then it will be the game. But right now, while we're playing the game, it's, this is no game. <laughs> No,
0: not at all, not at all, and uh, just the, the, the margins, a lot of the, car, not, some cars have got great margins in them, but the way I look at it, there's plenty of cars with rubbish margins, so when you do get a car with a good margin, I, I don't like to knocking two £300 off, because it makes up for the ones with, with no margin in them,
1: so that, that, that's why sometimes... I work
0: on... It's it's all Definitely. it's an average, isn't it? Really,
1: over the year, it is an average. But I personally like to, I like to extract as much as I can, if um if it doesn't cost me too much time in stock, because there isn't a magic formula. Nobody can tell you if you are five percent cheaper than the market, you'll sell forty days quicker. They just typically, if you're slightly cheaper, yes, you may sell quicker. But likewise, you may not. And sometimes you sell quicker. Yeah. You get uh, you get less money. Then you go and buy the next car that has a problem. You send it yeah. back to an auction. Then you go and buy the next car that doesn't have a problem, but sits in stock for seven months. Yeah. So uh, you know, I always prefer cars to cash. I prefer to have stock than to have cash. And right now, in this situation that we're in, amid the coronavirus lockdown, my bank account is reasonably empty. But because I've got a quite a full car park, yeah. Um, I've you know I feel reasonably confident that cash will start coming. And I, I need a small amount. I don't need a huge amount. I've, I operate at what can only be described as a super low-cost business. And I've thought many times about expand or getting bigger premises or getting maybe more cars or a valet or a driver. But my it's more a lifestyle business for me. I work it all the time from the house. Yeah. And we've decided for now that it'll actually work for us quite well with I think 20 is the ideal number of cars for us. But we can never get there. Every time we get, have anywhere near twenty, we sell five in a quick succession. We're yeah. down to fifteen, and we just uh, yeah. You, you're keeping the wheel
0: turning, aren't you? That's absolutely. The, yes. The, the, that's, and I think if it, if there's just one of you on your own, twenty cars is the
1: ideal number. To I think keep it's that. Wheel I think turning. fifteen is a bit easier. Twenty is a huge number. Depending on depends on what you do to them. But what my, the way I advertise, the way I obsess about the photography and all the presentation and everything, it takes me such a long time per car that my time, even 15 cars in a month, my time is gone. And
0: yeah. when you
1: throw in a couple of part exchanges in the mix, and when you throw in a couple of customer returns that you need to fix this and you need to fix that, and it's still hundreds of little jobs that happen, and there is only so much one person can do, and this is... We're talking the jobs on the cars, but the business itself isn't just, you know, cars. It has other things to it, other aspects to it. The yeah, website yeah. maintenance, the accounting, a yeah. uh, hundred other things, even the supplies for the valeting equipment that I use myself. So, um, yeah, there so,
0: is... Um, so a lot of the cars, will you valet yourself or will you get a valet? We
1: use a local, like a car wash type of operation that for about 40 to 60 pounds, they do a decent... I would say fifty percent of a valid because when the car comes back, I'd need to spend a good a couple of hours of my yeah. time for every nook and cranny. There is always when it's not me, they would always miss something. They would always miss a detail. There would be a box between the seats that they never opened. Yeah. They would never take the spare wheel out to clean um, underneath yeah. or the, the spare wheel itself. There is always stuff that they haven't done and it's always different from car to car. So when you give them the car and 60 quid, I know I'll get quite a clean car in return. But the difference between quite a clean car and one that I'll be happy to resell is another yeah. couple of hours of my time. And I've got a wet vacuum machine, like a professional level, a big Karcher thing. And I use it quite regularly on cars with cloth interior. And the, the car wash, the way that they do the interior valeting, they're so basically they they put so much water there they don't even see what they've extracted and what's still there and when it dries then you see the stains and the spots so it always needs a little bit of something I've got a machine polisher for example that I use maybe an hour a week uh, when I'm in a good mood I don't enjoy doing it but sometimes you've got a scratch you need it out full stop yeah I can't get people in for everything and I certainly can't move the cars to body shops and to repair places my, um, I've got a very good dent guy. Uh, he's he's a Bulgarian guy, his name is Boris. And he said, I can teach you to do dents and it'll <laughs> probably take me two or three days and you become maybe 40% as good as me. And yeah. I said to him, Boris, I can't, I don't think I'll get your craft in three or four days, not even 40%, but I don't want 40%. I want your, me and him have an agreement. I don't want 100%, I want 90% because it's <laughs> the last 10% improvement that takes him an age because he's just as obsessive as I am. And I said to him, I don't want retail quality, but I don't want to pay retail pricing. Yeah. So um, Boris comes and he does an amazing job. And we chat over coffee. He's a very avid coffee drinker. And our coffee is quite good. And <laughs> in fact, our reviews say that our coffee is very good. And since somebody left us that review, I've been making coffees for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Which goes to show that customers are actually reading the reviews. I wasn't sure whether they read them all, but yeah. they've read them yeah. full.
0: Yeah, no, oh, God, reviews are best things going. You know, I'd to look at some traders, quite a lot of old school traders, you know, that have been doing it 40 years, and they've only got two reviews on Google, and you think you're missing a trick there. You, you definitely need the reviews. And I think the Google and auto Trader. I think they, they're probably the ones... I, must,
1: that, I would say yes, absolutely.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, eBay reviews, I don't think people
1: take as much notice of them. The feedback of them, because of the way it's just basically just numbers, isn't it? Um, And I've got a thousand five-star reviews, but maybe six or 700 of them were built up by selling iPod cases 16 years ago. So they're not as... They don't carry as much weight. For me, the ones on Auto Trader, because I I focus very heavily on my Auto Trader advertising, and those reviews for me they have the biggest weight. And um, we reply to them, and I even screenshot them and put them in the middle of my website. And I want I even screenshot them and put them in every advert. I've got pictures of my reviews screenshot from my website. Yeah, and yeah. people read them, and they some people say. Uh, we read reviews, but we, this wasn't the deciding factor for us. But on, on some level, I know that they play a huge, huge part. Obviously, the car, the spec is important, the price is important, the mileage, the photography, everything. But you need
0: yeah, you, you don't need
1: everything to be 100%. If it's yeah. 90%, you're yeah. already doing better than 95% of the people out there because yeah. they, they don't put in the time and effort. I know that they don't because I look at the price indicators, for example, and I look at cars that should be great price. But it says high price, which basically means that the dealer didn't go um, toward the spec of the car or didn't put in the most advantageous derivative of the car. There could have been things that they could have done, and I know that they didn't do them. Because they've got the same car as mine with lower mileage, but their car says high price and mine says great, and they're the same. So how can mine be great and there is high I know yeah. why, because they haven't played with the spec in the derivative and um, Chili Pack on the minis, for example, it makes yeah. an £800 difference on an £8,000 car if you don't select it.
0: That high price, as soon as somebody sees high price, who wants to pay a high price for, it, for anything?
1: Some people do, but they're such a minority. Um, I'm not sure that my stock is for them. It's If we sell Rolls-Royce and Bentley and Range Rover and Super Prestige stuff, you know, maybe those buyers want high price. Maybe yeah. they want, um, but I'd rather my prior, my buyers, I like the green ones. I like good and great. Yeah. Great is such a small window of opportunity to have the great marker. You need to be from between sort of 90, 96 to 98% of the market price. And yeah. um, that good is now the norm on my stock at least. So in if, if you've got one, sorry, say, oh, so, say again,
0: I was just, saying, if, you, if you've had one in stock for more than three months, would you
1: reduce that too low price or would you always that's, try? And- that's not what I do. I change my prices constantly. When I put in an advert, I start looking at the response the next day and the day after and the day after. And judging from that response, if it's too low, I will um, put the price down straight away like three days in. Because let's face it, we're speculators. Um, we, yeah. we wish to think that we know what every car is worth. And every now and then, especially on the forum, I read something like, this guy is 2,690 all day long. Somebody will write something like this. Yeah. And do you know what? Somebody can come and pay three and a half grand for this. Or some other person can say, what? Anything over 2,000? is." So I think we're speculators. And one aspect of speculation is that you, you, you take a figure, which isn't out of thin air, but we take it from somewhere, okay? Then we put it on there and we start seeing how the market responds. And right now, the car that I only have one out of 20 that shows low price, and that car also has the lowest response level of them all. So y- you go figure. And the level of response was low when the price said great, and it's yeah. low when it says low, and it'll probably be low if it says high. It's just an undesirable, I think it's a mini one, a very low mileage. And because it's very low mileage, I'm assuming it's just high price compared to other cars. The yeah. broker trader gives it a low marker because of the super low mileage. It's something along those lines. Yeah, but I I prefer to be somewhere in the middle. Don't want to be too cheap, but don't want any high prices. I even avoid the fair price marker. Although they've worded, fair sounds okay. They've they've yeah. worded it fine. It could have been worse.
0: Yeah, I think fair price isn't too bad, but um, to low price, <laughs> you attract a different type of customer as well, don't you?
1: The absolute bargain hunter, which for them, my starting price of, in this example, 5,989 is just the start. And realistically, they will want the car at 5,500. And And my interaction with them will probably start with an email. Hi, is the mini still available? Will you take 5,000? To which we'll probably reply, no. And then they'll probably reply back, no, it's not available or no, you won't take the (laughs) 5,000. And then we start talking and I tell them it is available, but we won't take anywhere near 5,000. We want 6,000. And then yeah. they'll reply back and they'll say something like, but your price is five, nine, eight, nine. And I tell them, yes, six is a figure of speech, but of course we will take five, nine, eight, nine. Yeah. But we will take five to 50 then. And this all resumes. And I know at that point that probably we won't do a deal, but I, I'm a dealer. You know. I've, uh, if there is an opportunity there to be had, I'll explore. I want to know if I've done everything. If yeah. I try everything and it doesn't happen, I don't feel bad but if I just put the phone down on somebody out of pride or whatever I'm not doing my job as, as well as I could be doing it no no I hate Definitely. missing on sales I hate losing out but at the same time I don't I don't like an aggressive hugler like there the aggressive hugler, they'll be an aggressive owner they yeah. will chase me for repair bills which are not down to me and um you know they need to understand that when they buy from us we need to get paid and our labor, our work, what we put in these cars, if they don't understand it, then, I mean, go and buy privately if it's cheaper. Why do you go and buy from a dealer? The amount of stuff we do to these cars to sell them. I know, it it,
0: it drives you insane, doesn't it? Because you think, oh, I've spent all this money on this car.
1: No, I'm having to give it away, so. I'll be honest with you, I love the preparation. I don't do it for whoever buys the car. I, At this point, I do it for me. I want everything to be right, and I know that I've done my job well, and if the customer appreciates it, fine. If they don't appreciate it, it's also fine, as long as they pay my price. If they want everything, if they want the brake discs, the brake pads, the tires, the clutch, the belts, the polishing, the wet wet water vacuum inside, and if they want it a thousand pounds less, then... If I have twenty cars and if I sell ten in a month and if I take a grand less per car, that's a ten thousand pounds. Yeah, that's yeah. like a hundred grand a year, David. Yeah, a yeah. million pounds over ten years and over my career, what three million, maybe four million by the time I'm sixty. <laughs> yeah. Why would I give away four million pounds?
0: Yeah, it's re- so
1: if you have if you have had a car
0: then for three months, what will you do to get rid of it? You, I, you're gonna you have to reduce it.
1: I constantly play with the price and obviously my price is always around between 98 and 100% of market but if in your example if it stays a few months then the whole market price moves down not just my car yeah. every other car of this sort of registration and with these miles they will all move down but I don't I don't have a stocking policy I know you should do I know I should do but I don't because I do a lot of preparation and a lot of marketing and um, ultimately I'm always very busy, always running around, and I'm never in a situation where I feel I need this next sale. I don't have to sell a car tomorrow. I don't badly yeah. need the money. I've got a very cheap stocking facility, yeah. which I never fully utilize, um, and I'm I'm not pressured by the circumstances to have to turn the cars, you know, to turn the stock, because I, I don't know. I put I think I put too much into every individual car, but when yeah. I do everything myself, it's difficult. It's hard not to, you know the three hours on the M25, bringing it back, the two hours yeah. going to the garage, stuck in traffic, the one hour waiting for the MOT, then the two hours in the other garage while they did the oils and the filters, and Eurocarpart yeah. sent me the wrong filter, and we sent it back, and now they send the right one. Um, all these things, you know, it's 20 hours, 30, 40 hours of my time, and then if you just cross that time off, if you give that away, I know that there is a school of thought that you haven't learned anything if you've advertised it for such a long time. But I look at my advertising in the same way as my house rent is just a fixed cost, which is I don't allocate it per car. I don't allocate it per, per single sale. It's just the yeah. cost of the, to the business. And if we turn over a million pounds and if we spend 10 grand a year in advertising, then it's what 1% or yeah. something. It's yeah.
0: it's not a lot, is it? And I, I think you've hit the nail on the head there as well. that if you I mean nobody wants to be a busy fool but if you're busy all the time like if you've got if you've oversubscribed you've got more not more cars that you can handle but you've got enough cars no, more to keep work you, than
1: I can handle typically yeah. yeah I can always handle more cars but it's the it's the workload not just the number of cars because how do you decide can you decide I'll spend 2 hours per car and no more can you can you say that I'll spend half an hour on the photography and not 45 minutes, for example, yeah. or I mean you, you personally, what takes you lo- lo- what is the longest time investment for you personally? Um, I know you've got the value that works um, for, for you, you yeah. get the cars delivered. So what, what takes you up the most time per single stock unit per car? For me, it
0: is, it's just uploading the pictures, doing the descriptions, because I, I, I do that, how much mainly. time?
1: How long is how much time is that? How how long you does know, it take you on average? Assume an average. On, on average. On average, if we're doing actually. a vid, say a video,
0: pictures, description, each car's about it's like an hour and twenty minutes. I'd say an hour, maybe an hour and a half. That's I'm just guessing to be honest, but because we've got like forty cars in stock, uh, we're having to upload four or five pictures and descriptions so that 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 is my that takes up most of my time it's just being on the computer all the time
1: now add to all this driving half an hour to the mot garage driving 15 minutes from there to the garage do oh, yeah. my mechanical yeah. work add all the logistics to all this because of where we live and because of where the garages are that we use And you you probably arrive to something like six or seven hours of my time invested in each individual car. So I want to see some return out of it. And if that's greed, then who said greed is good back in the day? Uh, Michael Douglas in um, what's the name of that film? Wall Street, of course. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah. So yeah, greed is good. But um, I I just I couldn't find a more efficient way. I couldn't find an MOT station anywhere closer to us. and it's as good as the one that we have and the one that we've used for 15 years. It's just, yeah. I've just used these garages for such a long time. I've got these relationships and it's yeah. in a sense they work against me because they cost me a lot of my time. But in, in other respects, I'm so used to it by now that I don't even notice it. It's just this time investment that's, yeah.
0: Yeah. You've, you've got used to it. And, and that's what I'm trying to say as well, cause you're busy all the time. When you're busy, your phone seems to ring more. When you're not busy, the only people that see to ring you is 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 warranty claims. Absolutely. Like yes. So yeah, for me now our, our MOT centre is next to the, the pitch because the I the, know that the, you've got yeah. the garage
1: right there, yes. Yeah, so yeah. in your case, you've got it's much, much, much easier. So it's much easier,
0: but I, I am having a little bit more time on my hands. I'm looking at the prices of the cars more. And I'm thinking, oh, God, should I, should I reduce that? Where before, Do you move them up,
1: David? Do you move yeah, them? Oh, yeah, yes,
0: yeah, definitely, yeah. I've done that quite a few times. What I need to change, the habit that I need to change, is checking prices online. Not daily, I'd say weekly, because a lot of the cars, you know, we've got a few Fiat 500s, and it's just car supermarket fodder, isn't it? I need to stop buying stuff like that, because all Fiestas, Fiat 500s, I just seem to have them for six, seven months. Some of them, type. Do they? You do have. you
1: consciously go out and buy them, or do they just come in in part exchange? Or yeah, so
0: sometimes part exchange, private people, and and, and I think I'm getting a good deal out of them. But, but yeah. so I guess use more.
1: You know that Facebook page. Do you use the Facebook page, the um, trade, trade to trade underwriting? I think it's one of the several dealer facebook pages yeah.
0: Yeah, do you know what I've, I've tried to get on it and i haven't been accepted on that yet so i mean it was only a when couple tried,
1: of weeks ago try try again i um it took me about a day to get accepted there were a couple of like super easy questions to answer maybe it slipped through the net send the admins an email but on that page it's people put up a car and then immediately they get an underwrite in like 15 20 minutes so it's gone and it sounds like you've got stock that some people would want, a bigger yeah. dealerships or even a small supermarket operators. And basically they, um, they'll they pay you and you add a, hundred, you add a couple of hundred quid of profit for you. You still give it for a trade price or you can even add more profit if you if you bought yeah. it. If it came cheaply enough in part exchange, why the hell not? I mean, I know that some people operate solely on that page. They don't retail. They just basically yeah. trade from auction to traders because I've seen cars there that, um, I've seen them at an auction and I've seen them on that page and I'm not one to name and shame, but it, it seems to me that the idea of that page is to genuinely people to trade genuine trade stock that they got in part exchange or it's over stock. But I've seen cars that uh, I know I've seen them at an auction recently. So whether people couldn't add them to their stocking facility or whether they found the problem and want out, I, I'm not one, I can't tell. Right, But it right. certainly sounds like a possibility for you to trade out of a few cars to keep yeah. your stock too. What yeah. sells best for you? A bit more optimal. Yeah, and have you used that trade to trade? Themselves? I I uh, I love selling my part exchanges because I wouldn't consciously go and buy a cheap car. And I have I tried only one, like a really old Toyota minivan that I'm selling for my mechanic, and they gave me an offer of about six hundred pounds. But it wasn't my car; it was his, and he wants a thousand. So we couldn't get close enough with any of the people on the page. But um, I know a couple of dealers that. Sell every weekend three, four, five part exchange cars, and that's you know when you add a hundred quid profit in each, that's yeah. still profit, that's still money, and it, it keeps um, your forecourt moving. Yeah. It keeps money coming in, and it opens up more. Most importantly, it opens up your time for cars that you know you you're selling well, you're selling quickly with good margin. And I personally sometimes take a car in part exchange that I know is not very desirable on the market, but I want to do my deal. And I also always want to try, even the undesirable car, sometimes it surprises you, you know, it catches you out. You think that's a basic spec car, nobody will want this. And do you know what? People come and buy it in two days' time, whereas my retail car that I sold, I had it in stock for 80 days or 85 days.
0: Yeah, 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 that's it. The, the, the move quicker, don't they? Sometimes it's nice just get catching that wave. You know, when you'll sell a retail, then you'll sell a part x and you just it's just rolling it's rolling it's rolling the money's coming in and you've caught that wave and it just it just gets everything moving doesn't it so that's why absolutely I like and it,
1: it it would be moving even if you buy the auction stock but if you, if you imagine five part exchanges in a, from a single retail car and it happens sometimes when they sometimes oh, yeah. give you a more expensive car you give them money on top whatever you can have a five part exchange chain that's about £1,500 saved just on auction charges because these five cars, they came in part exchange for... Again, I've always said that the most important thing is the overall price, not just the saving on the auction fees, but we'll just assume that the part taxes come just as cheap as the ones that we bid for in the whole. In fact, when I take cars in part exchange, I typically get them even less because there is no competitor standing next to me with his hand up in the air. It's just me and the seller, so it's a little bit easier to...
0: Yeah, the, and you didn't like your part exchanges back in
1: the day, though, did you? I've because I've bought some horrible cars from the auctions. I've in turn taken some very horrible cars in part exchange, really bad ones. And I'll be the first to admit that I've made some buying mistakes in my time. But um, I've—they were all sold. You know, everything sells. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I it either does... sells or gets scrapped. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. They all
0: sell in the end. That's uh, that's why I, I quite like so, sometimes getting the cheapy ones in because, you know, you give £300 for something and, you know, worst case scenario, you can scrap it and you're going to lose £100 or you sell it for a grand and you've made £700. And sometimes and I reach,
1: think about yeah. the percentage return in that case, not the 700 but I think about the 300 percent profit margin. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's great. So, Yeah, I've got a few questions to ask you before we go.
1: I hope I have the answers
0: for you. And Yeah, I'm sure you have. So if you you were to start out again, what would you do
1: differently? I would probably start out younger. When I started out, I was in a full-time job and it took me about a year to jump ship, maybe even 18 months. And um, I basically bought a car, sold it, bought another one, sold it, and I earned my salary in these two deals. What I should have done then... I should have taken a couple of credit cards and I should have just gone full time there and then straight away. And I should have, um, when I started, I was buying mainly either eBay privately, I was traveling a lot, uh, buying privately from all corners of the country. I should have just um, started going to the auction at Bedford, which was brand new at the time. It was the newest site opened in 2005, I think, right when I started. I should have just started going there from day one and just bought cheaper cars from there because as I said to you earlier, the the fees were only about 50 or 70 pounds per car. The road tax was cheap and it was about 50 minutes away from us. So the logistics of it all and the volume was there, but obviously you go to an auction and it's so intimidating. And the problem with an auction is that you can go, when you're young, when you've got very little amount of money in your pocket, you can go three days in a row and not be able to buy a single car. And it's quite demoralizing. Whereas in a private, when I was traveling to buy privately, it would be me, the seller, and I would chip him down on the price and I'd get a car there and then. There was no buying competition, but I think the quality of the cars at the auction at that point would have been maybe slightly better than what I was buying off of eBay and however, I've I've bought some rubbish in my time, I'll be the first to admit. <laughs> so that's one of the things happened. I would change, but obviously it's not for everyone and Certainly now, when a cheap car costs you at auction two three hundred pounds, which is fifty percent of its value, I wouldn't suggest to anyone to go and start there. It's just different yeah. times, and the auctions are different environment than what they used to be. Yeah,
0: I, th- I think even over the last five years, there's not as many cheap cars in the auction. It's all everything. To, when I first started, you could get like old focuses for like four, five, six hundred pounds. And be able to sell them for fifteen hundred. Uh, but there doesn't seem to be any of them now. Them types of cars, especially in
1: BCA and Mannheim. I don't I've never been, I've never used Mannheim, but in BCA every now and then you see a bargain, but you I mean you don't know if it's a bargain until you drive out of that barrier. You just don't know what you've bought and the risk is too high of yeah. spending six hundred pounds when the fees are not seventy like they were for me back in the day, but the fees are two hundred and fifty or whatever. Actually, back in the day, I think I was paying about 40 pounds for a 600 pound car. So the auction charges then for me, when I was starting up, they would have been negligible compared to all the other costs that um, like garage repairs, for example, one of the garages I use, I pay them 60 pounds an hour. They're very good. And I pay a trade rate of 60. The retail is higher. And back in the day, I was paying them 50. So that basically that expense is virtually unchanged. 10 pounds change for 15 years is nothing. But yeah. at the same time, the auction, the auction fees, they were six That's times right. more expensive. God, so yeah. uh, this is what I would have changed if I go back in time. But obviously now I don't have an advice for a new starter. Where would you start buying? I don't have an advice for them. I'm sorry.
0: And uh, so what was your, have you had any major fails that have turned into successes?
1: I, I can think of a lot of fails, but I can't think of any sort of epic fail that I think turned into a success. One of the things which I was constantly unsure about is the fact that I've never paid a company like ClickDealer, for example, to do our website. I've um, We've always done our website ourselves. And we had a pretty basic website up until... And we're called lovelycars.com, so you'd expect the website to be quite... Yeah. <laughs> Important, but it never was. To me, um, I was always focusing more on the eBay um, presentation, and then I've been an audit trader since 2011, so more focusing on utilizing the audit trader. And our website is, we maintain it ourselves, and it's um, one thing that I've always had doubts about. Why not pay 40 quid a week to ClickDealer or to whoever to do what they do? But it just all dealer websites to me a few years ago, and I was deciding again, they look too similar. And I, uh, we, we do our own one now. So we've got an automatic stock export from Autotrader, which goes to my website. It goes to eBay, it goes to Motors, goes to Gumtree, Cargos, it's all automated. I would list a car on Autotrader and it goes everywhere else. And it doesn't cost me anything, free, not, not a single penny. So my website is free. So I'm not going to call it a major success or a major failure, but it was a little failure that it turned into a little success in a way. Brilliant.
0: And uh, have you got any um, apps that you use day
1: to day to help? So because I'm sitting on my computer, I can see the list of shortcuts on top of it. And the first one now is something that didn't even exist two years ago is the ULS checker. It's checking whether a car is compatible with the ultra low emission zone in London, which is a major driver of the market, at least in our area. Everyone wants to know whether their car is compatible or not. And um, about Two thirds of our stock now. I think looking at them, I think they're all compatible. Although they sell majority of them to customers outside of London, but this because we're so close, we're 25, 30 minutes away from West London, and I always have it in the back of my mind that our stock should be optimal for those buyers. Uh, yeah. The next one, I've got something called BMW Service AOS, BMW Service After Sales System. So you you register with BMW as a repairer, effectively, but any company can do it. I think they want a VAT number maybe or company number. And then you've got access to the BMW digital servicing information for BMW and for MINI. And it's instant. And it's just as accurate as the one in the the main dealerships. And basically means that I no longer have to worry about does a car have service history? And if I look at the BMW or MINI to purchase, I press a button on my computer. I put in part of the VIN number and I've got the answer in about... 30 seconds, 40 seconds. And it also has a very detailed build sheet of the car, which is like the, um, the spec checker that we use. Yeah. But this is the full build sheet. So it gives you all the options with the accurate names and everything else. And I, when I advertise, I've got this build sheet open in one corner of my screen and I look at it. So when I put in one of my adverts, extended in interiors lights package. It's not something which I thought about (laughs) out of the corner of my mind. I actually got it from the original build sheet and some customers have said that um, they looked at various adverts and ours looked the most specialist, whatever that means. But they think that um, we're more specialist than other dealers just because of the language which is used in the adverts, which isn't my language, I just copied it. So I've got this. Um, Then I've got uh, Shell Oil Finder, With the Shell Oil Finder, you just put in the registration of the car and it tells you the oil grade and it tells you the oil quantity, which my mechanic always brings me up on modern cars without a dipstick. He always brings me up and says, Nick, how much oil in this Mini? How much oil in this Audi? How much oil in this BMW? So we've got the Shell Oil Finder next to it.
0: Um, That's excellent. I've got
1: HPI that I've used them for many, many years. I've got the shortcut to my website, to dealer portal, Facebook, eBay, Motors Group. I've got the VW Cup that we talked about earlier that gives me a cup valuation. Then I've got another website which decodes the VIN numbers for Mercedes, which is similar to what we talked about BMW, but it just gives me the specification on the Mercedes. And I've got MotorCheck, which is this new car check that when you do it, it tells you whether the car's been written off because it looks at auction entries from salvage auctions. And on my phone, I've got an app which is called My Audi, And it's a very nice little app where you put in the VIN number of an Audi, it gives you, again, all the specification in a very nice, neat format. And it's extremely accurate because it's, it's provided by Audi themselves. It doesn't give you history, as far as I know. It just gives you specification, but I use it very often.
0: Land Rovers, do you know? I, get?
1: I Basically, for Jaguar Land Rover, you just um, type in the VIN number. In. They've got a website. I think it's called Jaguar Servicing or something, which is extremely useful if you're in an auction. And if you're looking at a yeah. Jaguar, and I've bought and sold many from Black Horse Finance without service history. They basically, because they finance repossessions, a lot of them, they just take the car and it comes with, minimal if any documentation but with them you just type in the VIN number and you don't need to prove any ownership you just type in the VIN number in the website and it gives you the full digital history in a nice printable format it's something that I used to do a lot in I think 2018 I sold 15 Jaguar XFs or something I don't know but this year I haven't seen any decent ones to buy with the prices so all over the place I just didn't see any that I wanted to buy but they're nice cars they're on my to look out for list
0: Oh, that's excellent, and uh, have you read any books that have helped you as a car
1: dealer? I've, not necessarily as a car dealer, I've read the (laughs) Bernie Eccleston's biography and it was very entertaining, but not the car dealer ears are what made him, and that's not the the, the most entertaining bit, but I highly recommend is the the official biography, the name of the author escapes me now, but um, Susan Watkins, I think it was Sid Watkins' wife that wrote his biography. Uh, so that was a good book, but I've got one in the house. It's called The Millionaire Next Door and it's a very old American book.
0: Yeah, I've read someone, that. by someone,
1: Thomas Crowley. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it's about the mentality of, of people that have money and how they think and why they have money. And in a nutshell, is because they're very tight with their money and because they keep their eye on the penny and they're very careful with what they spend on and because they reinvest all the money that they make. And it's about that, but it's entertaining reading and I've read it. A number of times more than once yeah I, um, I quite enjoy that sort of um, business books you know self help books that's a, that type of thing i, I steve jobs 's autobiography I know it 's huge the later one by walter isaacson it 's massive i 've got a quote from it um, it 's one of my favorite quotes, and i even <laughs> the strangest time i've i 've used the quote from a book in my life is Um, a friend of ours from our village, he sadly passed away last year to cancer. And he's a South African guy and he was going to be cremated. And in his funeral, he was in a coffin made out of cardboard. And his wife had asked us to write a message on, on, on the coffin itself with big marker pens. I've never, I've not been to many funerals in my time. And I've certainly never seen a coffin that you can write on, but this was the first one. And it was a, it was maybe two or three hundred people, and I was one of the first. I was standing closest to it when they start giving out the marker pens, and I was one of the first to write on it. And I wasn't sure how big the, you know, the writing needs to be. And I wrote, the journey is the reward, with a capital IS, so it is is important. The journey is the reward. Oh, and everyone else, when, when they were walking up to it, they, they looked at it and they kind of wrote around it in a way that nobody overwrote. It. Everyone wanted to, to leave it visible. And it stayed quite prominent on that coffin. And it's, uh, one thing I took from it is that it, you don't necessarily need an exit strategy when you are, when we're doing our work, any work. You don't need to worry about will I be rich when I will I have enough money to retire. You just enjoy what you do in the day to day, and hopefully success comes with it. And if it doesn't, so be it. I guess just enjoy enjoy the ride
0: yeah so true and Steve Jobs said as well didn't he you overestimate what you can do in a year but underestimate what you can do in 10 years definitely and I think that's a, a, a big thing with car dealers I think oh, I'm gonna make a fortune doing this but it takes a long time
1: that book if I may just came to me as we're talking about the book that all the quotes seem to be from it um, one other quote from it that I've sort of embraced in our marketing and our advertising on auto trader, especially our customers don't know what they want until we show it to them. Yeah. And right. a lot of my buyers are basically saying, I wasn't necessarily looking at a black mini Cooper S but I sold yours and I kept coming back to it. And yeah I, yeah, I emailed you and then you rang me and one thing led to another. And before you know it, you know, the money's in my account. So yeah. it's another thing that I've taken away from it that you don't necessarily need to, give an answer to somebody that asked you a question. You just give an answer and hope that they like it. It's who you buy from, who you buy from, what yeah. was the, what was the, what were they like? What was the name of the company? Are they yeah. big? Are they small? Oh no, it was just a yeah. one guy, but he was a nice guy. The coffee was so good. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> but is yeah, it people sell to people, don't they? I, with the internet, you'd I always think well, this will change at some point, wouldn't it? At some point, when operations like Kazoo start becoming the norm, it'll be people buying from corporations because oh, you don't, Lord. when I, uh, my phone is one of the, my prized possessions. I, and I always just, basically I press a button online and it comes in a box.
0: Yeah. yeah. And with yeah.
1: Tesla cars, for example, it's the same. You press a couple of buttons on their website, you leave a deposit, I think it's a thousand pounds. Uh, or even less on some of the later cheaper models. And then you just go and deliver the car and you don't interact with a person other than somebody that shows you the features. And he's not a salesperson. He's just a handover specialist. But certainly some of my customers are definitely the sort of people that buy from people. And I I'm forever try to find a way to target those specific customers. Of course, it's not... Uh, market is open to everyone isn't it and you don't want to be restrictive in any way you want to have a marketing policy that allows as many people in you don't have to sort of have bottleneck
0: so Nick if you could give anybody any advice who's, who's just starting out in the trade what would it be
1: um they're basically looking at the lifetime of great fun but it won 't be very easy to get there it 's an easy business to get into for sure. You just buy yeah. a car and you advertise it and you 're in business but it 's not a very easy business to stay into and to to stay profitable so i would I think what I would say is do what I did back in the day and what everyone does that I know of. just pick a couple of dealers that you quite like their setup and their online presentation and everything else, and see what they do and then try and replicate what you consider to be their best, their very best practices. And it's yeah. very difficult to try and copy a business from the outside because you can see somebody on Facebook, for example, on Instagram yeah. hugging customers and giving them four car keys every weekend. But you need to know what they paid for the car, what they sold it for, what they spent on it in between to understand yeah. whether they're being profitable or not. But in general, if there is a business out there or a company um, or a dealer or a dealership that does something that you like, emulate them to start and then take it from there I can't think of anything more important obviously there are a hundred and actually a thousand little important things but you you'll get there as you go along. And did you do you remember any traders that you looked up to when you first started? When I first started unfortunately we didn't have any there wasn't any forum there weren't any of the groups but there was this guy he was um, his name was Peter Simpson and he was like a small time newspaper editor he isn't hugely known and he was editing um a magazine called practical classics but he also had a small publication that he was producing himself it was called home trader about trading cars from home and he had an ebay um ebay account to sell cars right and i looked basically every car that he listed every car that he bought uh, bought I would have looked through his descriptions and and then what he used. Basically, my my company name, lovelycars.com, it, it started from all my eBay listings had the word lovely on most of them in front <laughs> yeah. of the car because I've, I had been told to have the 55-character length on the title back in the day that was super important. So I used to put the word lovely because this is the word that he used. And when you read his descriptions – his cars weren't perfect, you know, he said there was a mark here or a mark there and it's been used and everything, but um, it's a lovely example and lovely this and lovely that and this is, this is where I got it from basically and he's um, the first one I can think of. Over the years, I've looked at many trader adverts and many dealers that do various things and yeah. uh, some practices I've adopted immediately, like straight away, I see something and immediately I go online and edit my own advert and I'm not ashamed to admit it, it's, it's the thing to do. I think... If somebody is doing something right, it's um copy them and it's the ultimate form of flattery. And if some somebody's doing something that I don't like, I've been vocal over the years and I've told people I think what you're doing isn't isn't the best thing possible. You could do, do it better or yeah, yeah, do it better. you know how we always try and on these forums we try and pinpoint the best possible practices and it's it's so difficult, isn't it? Oh, what God, works yeah. for one doesn't work for another, what works here doesn't work over there, and there is no end to this
0: you can try and copy people, but at the end of the day you just find what
1: what works best for you. Absolutely. You adapt you adapt as you go and you you can't be static. You can't just start one business and operate it in exactly the same way for 30, 40, 50 years without changing a thing. I mean you can and for some businesses it, it works reasonably well. Yeah. But I think that just little changes over time add this and take away that here or there and ultimately you've got a much sleeker, much better operation. Much more profitable, and it's much more fun working it as well. When, when you're doing it in the best ways possible, there are some practices out there that are downright—I don't know what word to use—just exhausting to 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 use them to operate them. Once you you see what these are, you just eliminate them completely. And something yeah. else to add to the advice to the younger people that I didn't think of before: try and learn where the where you have to stop with the preparation, where the yeah. where to stop spending money on what's essentially a used item and try to learn what you can get away with. Because ultimately, that's not exactly cutting corners. It's just knowing what people want. And once you learn it, your costs will fall dramatically. And when you don't spend, it goes in your pocket, basically. If you can keep the margin the same, ultimately try and learn where to stop with all this spending that we have on every corner, every bumper to bumper, top to bottom. Because if, if you
0: did, if you did, well, you wouldn't be making any money. You wouldn't make any money if you made a car perfect. It
1: depends on it depends on the margin. I mean, if you're Tom Hartley Junior, and if you bought a Ferrari for three hundred and fifty thousand, but if you sell it for eight seven five, it doesn't matter that you spent two hundred and fifty thousand on a complete restoration. There is yeah. still big money in it for him. But we're talking the average dealer that buy a car for buys a car for six hundred pounds, and they need to sell it for. Fourteen hundred, for example. Yeah. In this eight hundred pounds in between. As soon as you drive out of the auction gate, various other costs start adding to that. Whether it's fuel, whether it's uh, tax, whether it's advertising, a hundred other things that you don't even know that exist in the world of used cars. You start paying for them. So that, that the quicker you learn where to stop this spend or what you can get away with, yeah, I think that the better. But it takes time.
0: No matter what car you get, it is well if you're buying a second-hand car, there's always something. There's always something. You can have a car with full service history, beautiful bodywork, but there's a key missing. There's always something. Do you get many perfect cars that tick every box?
1: Occasionally, very, very occasionally. And with the online buying now, I've got... My stock is, is kind of two types now. The almost perfect cars that I buy online, which are three years old, and there is very little to go wrong with them in the space of... 20, 30,000 miles that they've traveled.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And then on the yeah. other end of the scale are the part exchanges which we take against them and which are quite happy to retail. And I earn the same money out of those, if not even more. Yeah. And I adapt as I go, you know, the newer car. Some things are very important for the newer car. They're less important on it. Like, for example, service history, three years old, one service done. Well, that's full when it's done 20,000 miles and the service yeah. was done at 15,000. That's a full service history right there. Yeah. And at the same time, you can have a seven-year car with five service stamps and you've got a service missing. Yeah. And you've got a key missing, for example. You've got a booklet pack missing, rear parcel shelf. And all these things, if you need to replace them, 100 pounds here, 25 pounds there, yeah. 175 pounds. And suddenly, the 800 margin that we started with, it's, yeah. it's down by half. And you haven't even done anything significant to it yet. Yeah. So it's all these things that um, I'll... When I have two identical cars, for example, one is missing a parcel shelf, one isn't. What I will sometimes do is I'll try and sell the the first buyer for. We won't say or we won't put a picture of it that shows that it's there. And if the first buyer doesn't ask me, and I know it's awful and horrible, but I've been doing it for such a long time now, I don't even feel bad about it. If they ask me about a parcel shelf, uh, we'll give it to them. Um, it was left in um, our shed after the valeting. I go in, give them the parcel shelf. And if they don't ask for it, I don't offer it. I don't volunteer it. And it goes on the other car. Yeah. So basically the second, the second customer will get luckier out of the two. And with yeah. used cars, luck is important.
0: Yeah, definitely. A couple of years ago, I was just selling 107 C1s and Igoes. Well, I had a lot of them in stock. There was always two or three parcel shelves missing but I could always rob them off another car. So
1: Absolutely, yes. And I'd, in the worst case scenario, your other customer would want one, in which case you'll say, yes, we'll order you one, we'll, we'll send it straight to you. <laughs> Job done.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was great. Just going back to that, when you first started, were your pictures really good from the beginning then? Have you always had a good eye for taking good pictures? I've
1: always, I've always thought that my pictures are really good, but when I look now at really old pictures of mine, I shiver because they're not very good. They, they At the time, they would, have, they would have been a lot better than everyone else's. Of course, they would have. But to me, they always need a bit of improvement. But I've always... Because when I started, I I was selling the iPhone cases. And I, I'd been photographing those. And I'd been using library images. And I'd been using my own images. And I was quite a keen, I'd always been quite keen in photography. I've always had a couple of sort of mid-level cameras of the sort that you can put in your pocket, but they were still quite expensive, you know, quite good. And I used them on the cars, but for example, I photographed the cars on the street outside of our house on a London street with, we had a brick wall behind and I always hated that brick wall. And recently, (laughs) a few years ago, I started looking at Romans International, a supercar in South London, something like Tom Hartley, but they are slightly bigger, slightly more reputable. I've been past, now. Is, isn't that in Wimbledon? Is it just, uh, they're in Bunstead, which is near Wimbledon. Yeah, yeah. that sort of that sort of area. Yeah, they're in Bunstead yeah. in Surrey, yes. Yeah. And all their pictures now are are against a brick wall, which is inside of their compound somewhere. And they look remarkably similar to mine 15 years ago, <laughs> in the brick wall behind, you know, on the street. And um, to me, they sell, you know, to me, they're important. I think they create a lot of desire. And sometimes I sell cars to people that weren't looking to buy, which for me, is the ultimate achievement you know i the way i see it i don't sell cars i just give somebody an opportunity to come and buy them if they want
0: Mm -hmm. well nick it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you and could you just let everyone know where where they can find you your website your facebook instagram if you've got any of them
1: our website is lovelycars.com our Facebook is also lovelycars.com, and we're also in um, on Instagram, and our Instagram handle is, is lovelycars underscore com. But if you just type in lovelycars.com anyway, you'll find us very easily. And if somebody uh, wants to call me for something, to have a chat, if they catch me in a good day where it's a little bit quieter, especially in times like this where we're not doing much, day, there is a phone number at the top of my website, and if you dial the number, you can get me directly. Um, so yeah but it's been an absolute pleasure David thank you so much for having me and for the chat and for the talk and I hope that um, people will spend the two hours to get to the end of the recording I hope it's been worth their while
0: definitely I'm sure they will it's been absolutely brilliant and there's loads of golden nuggets in there that I'm going to use myself thank you very much I'm
1: I'm very glad I'm looking forward to the next one with someone else as well
0: definitely okay mate thank you take care So I really hope you enjoyed that conversation with Nick. Don't forget, we've got a Facebook page. It's called Car Dealer Pro
1: Podcast. And also we're on iTunes if you want to subscribe. Thanks for listening.